0: And welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hey. And uh, today we are here to discuss episodes 39 through 44 of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, um, aka 14 through 19 of the second season, sometimes called Iron-Blooded Orphans 2. Um, so I don't know if you have any like immediate things you want to talk about before we get into the synopses. My, like, uh, one question was just, uh, how you enjoyed these episodes.
1: Uh, I, <clears throat> I enjoyed them. Um, a lot happens. Uh. Oh. I think it's been, <laughs> it's been interesting to see, like, some of the, um, the themes that I thought were happening, like, very, early, when we first started discussing it. Uh, like seeing that the show like sticking with them and continuing to develop them, or even like returning to them, yeah, uh, and like insisting uh, on them <laughs> is is like fun. Uh, yeah, it's kind I- of an interesting experience to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: laughed because i'd forgotten like episode titles uh so you talking about like uh masks and intentions being linked um and then just seeing the the episode revealed intentions where he's gonna remove his mask
1: <laughs> yeah and then all of the dialogue with that <laughs> yeah um, um
0: i like vaguely was... renew some of that stuff where i knew you were on like the right track but it was just so funny that the episode title was revealed intentions <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah uh,
0: so you you really called that one.
1: Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the um I can't remember which like what where it falls in the order of our discussion episodes, but yeah. the like when we covered like and Massa and all of that um yeah. it's like start of the, you know, IBO season 2, I think. Yeah, I um, think so. And I was like, ah, you know, after we did the discussion episode, I was like, yeah, I didn't really feel like Um, I was, like, I guess being, like, you know, self-critical and just being, like, yeah, you know, some of the themes, I was, like, grasping at at these, like, ideas, but I don't know if we, like, really fleshed out this stuff to the degree that, uh, like, did we miss something here? Um, Because we were talking about, like, oh, yeah, there's all this confusion around, like, intention, there's, like, internal discord, all these like ideas emerging. Um, But like, we didn't really have any uh, resolution as to like, Oh, this is what the show is doing with it. Uh, And then we get to this chunk of episodes and the show is like developing those things so intently. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I was like, okay, I feel better now uh, that we were like, you know, that we weren't just yeah. completely off the off the mark with all that.
0: Um, the other thing I want to say up front here in all of this, uh, which we don't have to like go into detail right now, I would say let's like save it and we can talk about it more when we get like to the end of the recording if we really want to talk about this or maybe we'll be tired because um, this is also a thing that we could like totally save for the question bucket as a thing to talk about. Uh, but I've been watching through uh, Victory Gundam. You finish *Victory Gundam*. Yeah, um, did. <laughs> and as I and as I've been getting deeper and deeper into it, I become more and more like uh, assured of this thing that I like jokingly kind of said on Twitter when I like uh, first got to the Shrike Team, uh, which is that I think that the the sh- like people making *Arm blooded Orphans* love *Victory Gundam*. Uh, there's so much stuff from victory Gundam that like also shows up in iron blooded orphans. Uh, and that gets like it's spin on or it's take on, but like turbines, you can compare to the strike Strike team team. in a lot of ways. Uh, there's a lot of similar stuff around. Like, uh, I think you even brought up on a, uh, earlier episode around like the ocean and like, uh, people born in space having discussed at like, um, but in the smell of the ocean and and all of the stuff. And also just like, the theme the, of like, the reproduction that, and children yeah the theme of reproduction the the just the death parade that like the death march that we're in right now yeah. um there's a lot of death that happens in these episodes and it, you know it started a while ago um all of that stuff is stuff that feels like it is like pulling from victory um so e- there's even like a certain amount of stuff that i can see with some other characters that are like i could compare to like um shakti and Atra, i think like it's not like a straight line but you can like see similar stuff happening there um yeah yeah, yeah and then Atra like is, kudelia like is that. a little bit different but is also like to some degree pointing towards like uh is like this like mixing that's happening between um katagina and like queen maria as well like some of the stuff that's happening there is is also happening in kudelia not like one for one Um yeah but yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like there's, like, so much Blueprint stuff. Um, yeah. Even and just of, how young, like, the main character is, you know? Um, yeah. No question. Um,
1: I think one of the big ones that I missed was uh, Crank. Uh, and uh, it's really frustrating. I can't remember the guy's name. But uh, the guy, like, early in, in Victory Gundam, one of the first, like, uh, Zonskar pilots. That oh, Yeah. Um, that Uso like defeats the guy who kills himself.
0: Um, and he's like, yeah,
1: like that. Which is an amazing episode of Victory Gundam. Um, but the guy, like, when he realizes that Usos a child, is just like fate. Like, how the, how cruel is it that like fate has made me witness this scenario? Yeah, <laughs> and like, <laughs> like like dies. Um. There's a there's a strong like parallel there with Crank um being like you know, encountering the Tekkenon child soldiers and being like um the cruelty of this uh is like too immense. Um yeah. and then just doing this like I think it's debatable if Cranks oh, is actually like
0: Is there is there another one in Victory, or is it the one where uh Uso first like meets him in space uh, and helps him out and then they meet again and he's like, I'm going to like teach you to defend yourself when there's like the time, uh, and then fights, but then is like hap like says good job when he dies to Uso.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's the guy who like, <sighs> it's really going to bother me that, that can't yeah. remember his name. Um, but I think he blows himself up with like his grenades. Um,
0: oh yeah yeah i also don't remember his name but i i know specifically i think there's also a little bit of like in with some characters of the the other guy as well but um, yeah i've been watching so much (laughs) gundam so uh some of these names some of these character names or it's like very clearly for a few episodes uh coming from my head but but um, I,
1: i i'm sad that i've forgotten the guy's name because it's an amazing uh episode and scene yeah and it's such like a um There's like a a level of emotion in that scene that I think Victory Gundam hits a lot because it's like very intent on diving, like driving deep into your heart. Um, Yeah. Like all of this, like horrible pain. Uh, But the guy just being like, uh, it's not even that he's just like mad that he's been beaten by a child. It's like the cruelty of fate to like make me witness like this child on the battlefield <laughs> is like too much to bear
0: <laughs> yeah uh
1: and also you know like he, he's he been defeated or whatever so he has all that going on but anyway this is a ridiculous tangent but yeah um, um i'm glad you're um, hopefully enjoying victory gundam it seems like you are reading between the lines
0: yeah yeah Uh, I've been enjoying it a lot. There's definitely some like messiness in it, but I'm often a person who will enjoy that messiness. So um, I've been having a good time.
1: Yeah. Um, Anyway, should
0: should we get into the episodes? (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Before we get too deep into this um but yeah if people also want to write in about like uh victory gundam and iron Bladed orphans or whatever uh one if you join the the abnormal mapping discord if you go to abnormal mapping.com uh you can find the discord somewhere on that website i forget exactly how but uh i believe in you i believe you can do it dear listener if you um, need tech or, support just write into the yeah or, email. or you can write to ghost at gmail.com both of you need tech support or um also, if you want to send in comments there and we'll, we'll do them on a qu- the question bucket. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get into the synopsis. Um, we're going to do three and three just for, for listeners to know. Um, so uh, we'll do three episodes, talk about them and then the, the next three episodes. Um, so here we go. Episode 39 council uh, echo, who is like, I think Laughter's sister kind of looks like laughter. Mm-hmm. Um very similar, like, appearance. Um, and Ozzy say goodbye to Orga and the others from Tekadon, while left, uh, Laughter says farewell to Akihiro in private, uh, telling him to be, not to be so reckless. Um, and Akihiro's like, kind of, yeah, you're, you're correct. You're like one of the two people I trust to have in my back. The other one is Mika. Uh, and so if you're not like watching my back, I do need to be more careful. Um, which is a, a, a response that's pointing towards the direction the Tekadons may be headed in. Uh, hopefully they will stay in that direction. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> ominous music in the background. Um, they shake hands in parting. Uh, we also get that moment of him like wiping his hand before the handshake. Um, like Mika does. With, uh, Cudelia. Um. On a Gatlahern sh- uh, ship, Kujan speaks with Jazly on the phone about how to get revenge. Um, and Jazly suggests that taking another turbines would be an effective way of weakening Tekadon. Uh, Kujan also begins preparing, uh, some sort of forbidden technology without Rustle's approval. We'll learn what this is, but, uh, it's currently kind of obscured from us as the viewer. Um, and Julieta asks, uh, Kujan's permission to go with him, uh, on the attack on the turbines um, so that she can try out an experimental new suit. Um, I'm going to talk about this suit with you a little bit. Cause I think there's some, I built it recently and I think there's some interesting thematic stuff that happens with it, but um, okay, I'll, awesome. I'll like send you links to both the Reagan loss and then the Reagan <laughs> loss, Julia, uh, Julia, which is her, her experimental one. Uh, so you can kind of look at the two while I'm talking about it and, you know, listeners can um, you, you do. get the links, Listeners don't get the links. Yeah. Listeners don't get the links, but you can just look them up. Um, <laughs> I'm going to send you the Gundam planet links, Connor, in case listeners are curious. Um, anyway, meanwhile, uh, Rustle and Vidar talk about, uh, Iak Kujan's use, um, as a charima- charismatic, face who can I- inspire people. Um, and then Rustle is asking Vidar, when, re- when are you going to show his face? um, Vidar says he's not going to remove his own mask until, uh, he has revealed his intentions. Um, there's sort of a, uh, I think intentional confusion or like, uh, intentional ambiguity. Where is it, uh, Vidar revealing his intentions or McGillis revealing his intentions, but McGillis is also implied in here, I think. Um, and he believes that he has, uh, the right to understand McGillis, um, because McGillis is the one who killed him. Uh, at this point, if you, haven't guessed that this is Sky Leo. Uh you're not paying attention, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um and McGillis' headquarters, uh Estergi reports his findings regarding Kujan's movements. And McGillis says that he suspects the forbidden technology that Kujan is preparing uh, preparing is a uh downslave. I I actually am not sure the best way to pronounce this, but um Dineslef. I think it'd be like Dynslave. Um Royal Gun. There's like an accent over the A that's what really throws me. Um and if this was uh you know a Norse, which the the leaf here is pointing towards, it would be like Dowenslaif. But um mm. yeah. Um I'm gonna say Downslave just because it f- feels best to me, but I I don't know if that's people can write in and let us know. <laughs> um, and dispute
1: dispute our our yeah. prim-
0: etymology. Neither of us are watching the dub, so um but uh they, they describe this as a rail gun similar to the weapon, um, that was used by the transformed Floros when it like turned into the giant, uh, gun. Um, then, um, at, like, a Tegadon headquarter, uh, Mikazuki is spending his time... Oh, this is, like, on board the, the ship. Um, uh, Mikazuki is spending his time plugged in to Barbados, uh, this is where we're gonna see him hanging out most of the time, um, and Atra brings him some lunch to eat together. Uh, she comments that the cord connected to Mika, um... And, like, that goes to Barbados is, like, an umbilical cord. Uh, and then it starts talking about uh, babies and how happy the children and babies at the Turbines must be now that Lofter, Ozzy, and Echo are back home with them. Um, we get a little flashback, uh, just a reminder of uh, when Atra sort of implored Kudelia to have Mikazuki's Zuki's baby. Um, and then we get some more here uh, where... Um, Kudelia sort of says, well, why don't you have the kid with Mika? Um, and Atra's like, I'm not uh, good enough for such an amazing person like Mika. Uh Kudelia assures her that she's wonderful, uh, that the bra- bracelets that Atra made is linking them all together. Um, and, uh, you know, Atra responds to this being like, well, whichever whichever of us has a chance to have a baby with Mika, we should have a baby with Mika, um, you know, to, to make sure to tie him down um we'll just race for there, it yeah and there'll be no grudges either way um you know this isn't a competition between us it's just whoever uh gets the opportunity um kudelia is uh in a completely different location for most of this so uh we'll, one of these two girls has a better chance i guess <laughs> um. yeah we're gonna have to <laughs> yeah uh, we're gonna
1: have to get next day mail uh yeah to make this work
0: um back in uh the present uh atra and mika talk a little bit about how cute babies are um and then mika agrees and is like they look tasty and then atra pouts um and it's kind it's a cute little scene um i enjoyed it i know some people don't like this stuff but um it worked it i think there's like interesting content here and it is um it makes sense to me for these characters uh anyway um, back on the turbine ship, Lofter, Ozzy, and Echo look at a new mobile suit called the Hekija uh, that seems to be in development for Tekadon specifically. Um, we'll see uh, the turbines using it specifically. I think. Um, I think I forget if Tekadon ends up getting some of them too. But uh, new the
1: he- Hekija uh, Hush pilots it later. I think.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, he does. A uh, new mobile suit that you can buy. Go, go get the Gunpla today. <laughs> um <laughs> this is our new sponsorship deal <laughs> uh Naze and i talk about laughter's new love um and Naze describes most of the turbines as being like his daughters um that he's proud that uh she laughter found a good man um you know referring to akihiro um, we also get, uh, Naze and Amida reminiscing around when they first met, which unfortunately is a death flag. Somebody should have told them, don't do this. Um, <laughs> especially not after somebody said, let's target the turbines. You're going to be dead now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, we learned that Naze hired Amida as a bodyguard and they fell in love. Um, eventually they began to take on women working dangerous long haul work and, uh, you know it said making them nominally his wives to save them from exploitative situations um they do still say he does still have sex with many of them but I, I think this in particular implies that like um they're like a lot of them are probably just his wife to like be on the ship and you know whatever legal protections that provides yeah. um that he's not like making everybody have sex with him or anything like that um yeah he says, those who like, want to he's fine with <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. will have sex with them if they want to have sex.
1: Yeah, I think he says something to the effect of like, well, you know, I'll take what's freely offered type of thing. Mm-hmm. So to kind of saying, trying to make yeah. the same statement that that you're, that you yeah.
0: are. Um, and uh, then we learned that they joined Tewas uh, in order to help further protect and support his family. Um, and that eventually the turbines grew to be over 50,000 members, which we have not seen all of. So right? he could um, not possibly be having sex yeah. with all of them. <laughs> he right? really could not possibly have <laughs> be having sex with all 50,000 members of the turbines. <laughs> um, Naze reflects that the turbines were able to come so far because they taught him what family means. Uh, and also reflects on how he feel, uh, views Tekadon as sort of a younger version of his own family. Um, no surprise to us. We've been reading what the show is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that he hopes that uh, they won't let go of their family too easily. Um, just then, Sirens Blair. Uh, again, somebody should have told them, do not reminisce about your past like this. You will die. <laughs> yeah, don't don't talk um,
1: conclusively about your lives like this.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> kind um, of so, makes you, uh, uh, kind of <laughs> hastens the conclusion of your life.
0: Yeah. Uh so at a Tewa's office, uh McMurdo is meeting with Mika when he learns of the Gallahern raid of the turbine ships, uh, and talk about how they allegedly uncovered a forbidden uh downslave uh weapon that was being prepared. Again, allegedly for Tekadon. Um on a call with Orga McGillis suspects that this discovered downslave is is Floros. Uh, we will learn that this is like a full setup. They've like brought some on the ship um gatlahern has and then said that the turbines had it but um at this point there's still confusion over like is this actually a setup um orga calls Naze, who is now on the run um and Naze says don't come to help um you know you just be running into gatlahern's trap they are you know trying to to get me and they also like are attacking me to get you um naze reminds orga that he is not orga's family uh, even though he calls him uh big bro all the time or whatever um and that orga needs to protect to t- t- take it on, his real family and continue uh continue to pursue their goals so they can you know be king of mars and rest easy um and that's where we end off
1: <coughs> uh that takes us to episode 40 which is titled lit by a blazing sun uh we start out uh we see mika and hush uh meeting with mcmurdo uh, McMurdo telling them that he can't intervene to help the Turbines. Uh, after Mika and Hush leave, we see McMurdo on the phone with Naze, uh, who requests to return his Sakizuke cup to, uh, bear- to McMurdo, uh, thereby resol- dissolving the relation between Turbines and tawaz. Um Naze also explains his plan to disband Turbines uh, and makes a final request of McMurdo to take care of the women and Turbines afterwards. Uh, after all of this uh, goes down, because they'll no longer have a, a home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, McMurdo says he will. Uh, Orga, meanwhile, um, Orga is really struggling uh, with not being able to help Naze and the Turbines. Uh, and Shino and Akihiro step in uh, and offer to go out to the battlefield to take the escaping Turbines into custody. Um uh, so they're like concocting this um scenario where oh well we'll just go out there and then we'll be, you know, purportedly doing like a some sort of mission or like maintenance on something nearby. And then um when they all all the Turvians like evacuate, we'll take them into custody. Um so then we can protect them while also like totally not engaging in the conflict. Yeah. Um great is pl- like that's a great plan um definitely go do that exactly like that um and uh thank and you for go
0: exactly like that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and thank you for getting me out of this like spiral that i'm in um yeah. uh over at mcgillis uh mcgillis's house uh mcgillis <laughs> talks with Isarugi. uh There's about <laughs>
0: massive weird office <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um Gills talks with Iserugi about moving forward with their plan, um, which at this point is still, uh, I think, technically a mystery, although we can kind of see where this is headed. Yeah. Um, over at Turbines, uh, we see chaos as the Turbines are trying to evacuate before Gjellarhorn arrives. Uh, on the bridge, Naze tells all the Turbines to escape, um, a, meaning like kind of the main, the main characters of Turbines that we know. Um he tells them, like, go ahead and escape, uh, leave me behind, and I'll like I'll catch up with you later. Uh, you know, this this classic this classic line.
2: Yeah.
1: Um Lofter and uh, Ozzy want to go out and fight uh Gallarhorn, but Naze and Amida tell them to protect the evacuees instead. Uh and Amida insists on staying behind with Naze, uh, and he can't refuse. Um after Lofter and Ozzy leave, Amida calls out Naze for his plan uh, to take the fall for everything. Uh, he, yeah, he's actually not going to catch up with them later. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, back on Eok's ship, uh, Eok intentionally misinterprets the surrender flare from Amida. Um, so Amida has launched uh, in her suit, um, kind of like the vanguard for the Hammerhead, uh, and launches a surrender flare like a ceasefire. Uh, he like, intentionally misinterprets it because he wants to uh, basically like open fire indiscriminately and massacre the Turbines. Uh, and that's exactly what he does. Uh, so he opens fire with the Dinesleafs and starts murdering the Turbines ind- indiscriminately uh, as Amida, Lofter and Ozzy uh, fight. Um, he's also like watching his mobile suits to go out and, and attack the, uh, the transport ships and stuff. And, uh, Julietta is disgusted by Euk's, uh behavior, um, but, but will nonetheless take the opportunity to launch in Julia uh, because she's still driven to get stronger and distinguish herself for Rustle. Uh, she does launch uh, and she engages Amida on the battlefield and is outmatched. Uh, they have some conversation where uh, Julieta is like roaring about getting stronger for Rustle. And Amida's calling her out, like, oh, is that all you aspire to be? Is just like a weapon for this, you know, for this guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and uh, again, is like basically, you know, defeating uh, Julieta. Uh, and Julieta's dismayed at their difference in capability, which she can't understand. Uh, just as Laughter and Azzy are about to be overwhelmed by Eox forces uh, Akihiro and Shino and ride, uh, arrive suddenly from out of the sky, they pull a Mika, uh, and engage Gallarhorn. Uh, and then as this is happening, Naze charges forward with the hammerhead, uh, launching another surrender flare, which is also ignored. Uh, and seeing that Eok is bombarding the hammerhead as it's kind of charging forward, uh, Amida, uh, is like, well, I just need to kill Eok. Um, I just need to like destroy the flagship uh to end the battle. Uh and as she's proceeding forward to do that, she's hit by the Dinesleafs and mortally wounded. Uh in her dying moments, she fires a single long range shot, like this miraculous shot, uh, that hits Eox bridge. We get the shot from inside of the bridge as the
2: mm-hmm.
1: as it hits the windshield and like, cracks it. Uh, but unfortunately it does not destroy it. Uh, Seeing this. This
0: motherfucker will continue to be around.
1: (laughs) Yeah, bastard. Uh, We were getting some strong, like, Gundam signals that he was about to get, um, about to get killed. Uh, Yeah. But um, there is a lot of Gundam throwbacks in this episode, uh, I will say. But the moment where it's like, Master Yak, should we put the bridge in combat mode? And he's like, no, we should not. Um I'm like yeah this is the this is the death flag where yeah. the like idiot dies <laughs> like the overconfident idiot uh dies like um you know in, in battle because his bridge is destroyed
0: Yeah I'm trying to remember what one it it might be victory or it may have been If you uh, haven't seen them yet one. in
1: victory there will be multiple Well
0: there there's one where they're like uh somebody's like you know uh please like sir put on the normal suit uh, you know, in case like the bridge takes damage, and he's like, no, uh, captain must be confident and like not put on the, the, you know, the normal suit and like stand firm. Um, and you like, get that moment. And then like, uh, f- five minutes later in the episode, it cuts back and he's got the normal suit on. <laughs> it's just <laughs> such a funny bit. <laughs> okay. I will say, I forget, I forget if that was, uh, like victory or something else, but I, I don't think it is,
1: but I rem- remember that, like, Remember that exact thing as you keep watching Victory. Yeah, uh, I feel because, like it is
0: uh Victory cuz Victory has had a lot about like uh put on their normal suit to the to the commander the, of the ship.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like even the um the like main characters as well. Like when they're mm-hmm. when they're on the whenever a battle starts it's always like oh, you know, put on um Flanders' normal suit
0: dog in a normal suit maybe <laughs> in a normal suit
1: yeah it might be uh but i think like yeah there's a way that that uh i'm struggling because i don't want to say too much but yeah. that whole like dynamic of like oh put on your normal suit uh is hap like is recapitulated very amusingly uh <laughs> later on um <laughs> anyway uh so um yeah, EoX uh, does not die, uh, unfortunately. Um, and then seeing that like Amida has been mortally wounded, Naze like just full on shifts f- to like a ramming attack. Uh, he charges forward, uh, but he also dies as he's hit by the Dynesleafs, kind of their next like volley. Uh, and the hammerhead crashes into one of EoX's ships, but goddamn it, it is not Eok's ship. Yeah. Uh, so EoX survives the battle.
0: It, like, kind of, like, skims, I think, the side of Eok's ship, and then it, like, veers off and, like, into totally another. smashes into another one Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. That, yeah, that's the correct
0: yeah. synopsis.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and uh, the episode ends as we see um, everyone's reactions uh, to
0: finding out about Nausea and Amida's deaths. Um, and then the final of the these three episodes, <clears throat> um, episode 41, Natural for a Human. Uh, so Tekadon and McMurdo prepare for the funeral for Naze and Amina. Uh, Jazly is there objecting to McMurdo being like, uh, he returned his, you know, uh, Sakazuki cup. He's not like a part of us. He's a, a wanted criminal. Uh, we shouldn't be holding a funeral. Uh, and McMurdo says, I can still like mourn my friend in my own home. I can do a, a funeral for my friend, even if it's not like a part of the family. Um, and that's why it's a small event. Um, and also, uh he finds the events surrounding nazi's death suspicious uh you know very wink wink nudge nudge i'm looking at you Jazly, as i say this very meaningfully yeah um back with his own lackeys Jazly suggests maybe it's time for mcmurdo to retire um you know maybe there's some way we could we could help encourage him to retire yeah, maybe
1: maybe you things know. aren't going to work out with mcmurdo after all
0: yeah but you know he's getting old um I'm I'm sure uh, if he doesn't have a successor lined up, I could find a good one. <laughs>
3: <But> <laughs> yeah. What
0: about me, <laughs> Jazzy, um, motherfucker? Yeah. Um, at the funeral, the Turbines are crying over Naze's empty casket. Um, it, I th- I'm pretty sure it's empty here. Uh, I think they talk about how like they couldn't find the bodies. Gellhorn um, took the body. Yeah. Um and uh I think Jasly's here at the very least some of his lackeys show up and they're like just being assholes just mocking people and like insulting Dekadon. Um like at least have a little bit of class when you're doing this, you know? If you're like planning stuff, I would like keep it a little bit on the down low and not just like go harass the funeral. But anyway. Yeah. Um Jasly's too too loud with everything, including his attire. This is my I think he would do better if he was less loud. <laughs> yeah um, um <laughs> anyway uh um, they might be
1: able to find a better ally than Iak kujan,
0: yeah, but Iok Kujan also loud uh loud finds loud, <laughs> yeah equally loud, equally stupid idiot, <laughs> yeah um yak is kind of the jared of this series,
1: yeah, he is, yeah, um, I don't like
0: him as much as Jared, but he is, um yeah.
1: And Jasley is like he's maybe a little more like um witty, you know, and clever than mm-hmm. he's definitely more clever than Eok.
2: Uh yeah.
1: but I think we still like well, I'll, he, I'll let you like continue. He's like too overconfident. Anyway, anyway. Yeah,
0: definitely um meanwhile while this funeral is happening um Mika joins Atra as she cares for the Turbine's children um and there's this like cute little moment where a baby crawls up to him and he's sort of like laying over uh you know laying down on the ground um and he reaches out his hand and like uh you know sort of tousles the hair like caresses a little baby's face uh cute little moment um uh you know, back with, uh, Tewa's stuff. McMurdo promises to take care of the remaining turbine members. Um, and, uh, says that as part of it, they will need to change their names and no longer carry arms, um, in order to, you know, better go into hiding. Um, then, uh, outside that meeting, Ozzy tells laughter, uh, you should just go to join Tekadon. uh, be honest about your feelings for, for Akihiro. Um, you know, we we will get by, okay. You know, go do this thing for yourself. Um Then uh in a Yatlahern office, rustle confronts Iak about his use uh of the downslave uh to frame the turbines, um and basically says, you know, we need uh order and moderation right now. You and don't get it. You are going against it. Yeah. Um Aboard the Isuribi, uh, which is currently docked at Saisei, members of Tekadon ask Orga about the next steps to get revenge on Jazly. but Orga says that they need to respect Naze's wishes, um, his sacrifice to protect his family, they should proceed slowly, um, you know, finally the stuff that, that Naze has been saying to him is, like, sunk in. Yeah, there's, um, like, so many death.
1: reasons why we can't yeah. do this.
0: Um. And, you know, if we did it, we, we would not only be like risking our own lives, but we would also be endangering the lives of the remaining members of the turbines. Like, we need to just play it cool. Um, in response to this, we get like Mika glaring at Orga and Orga averts his eyes. Just want to call that out. Mm-hmm. Um, lofter boards the ship and asks Akihiro on a date. Um, it's, a, it's sort of a, an awkward asking on a date, um, and he's very oblivious to what's happening. Uh, but Shino and Eugene have been kind of eavesdropping from around the corner, and they're like, uh, dude, fucking go to the bar. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you, idiot. <laughs> you idiot. She's asking you on a um, date. Yeah. Um, you know, love that money can't buy. Um, so... Uh, we, we get their date at this nice bar. Uh, Loftra's like, Oh, where did you, you know, find this place? And it's like, Oh, you know, the first time that we came to Sisei, Orga took us here. Um, we have a, like a wild night on the town. Oh, remember those better days. Um, <laughs> and, or don't uh, remember them. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> Orga doesn't remember them. Uh, <laughs> only remembers the handkerchief with the smell of a woman. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> Uh, laughter tragically, uh, did not learn from, from Naze and Amida and their, their mistake here and gives her backstory about how she met, uh, Naze and Amida. Do not do this laughter? Uh, just yeah. screaming at the TV. Stop telling your tragic backstory. Don't reminisce. <laughs> um, but we learned that, uh, you know, they saved her and, uh, she says not only taught her how to read and write, uh, but also things that are natural for a human, like happiness and love. um, but yeah major death flag uh sorry laughter somebody should have tol- told you this uh they should have taught you this and not just happiness and love and how to read and write <laughs> well they apparently they um, didn't know it either so yeah um so laughter and akihiro uh sort of bond over this shared history because Akihiro's like oh yeah it was similar for me and like orga and Tekadon. um And laughter kind of opens up about her feelings for Akihiro. Uh, but also in this way where she's ultimately deciding what she wants to do is stay on Saisei rather than join Takedon um, and support McMurdo, try and support this, like, uh, how do we protect the, you know, various members going into hiding, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, she hugs Akihiro farewell and he blushes at this, um, all it's a, it's a sweet scene. Mm. um, Isaribi uh, departs, and Orga reflects on Naze's words of guidance. Um, I didn't want to do every single thing it flashes back to, but it's a lot of this like stuff that he's been telling him, sinking in, I think, um, in you know after Orga's death. Uh, meanwhile, Mika and Atra talk about babies, uh, and Mika eventually suggests that they have a baby together, much to Atra's consternation. Um, as a note here, uh, it's also noted that they there's like nobody around during this period. Cause they're all, uh, I think doing stuff on the, the Hoda Ruby? Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think like,
1: uh, Atra, like Mika is very, just like matter of fact, like casual about it. Like, oh yeah, yeah, let's just have a baby. And like, even though that's what Atra wants, she's like kind of like shocked and, uh, dismayed by the uh just like how carelessly he's like like she's getting this from him but it's like delivered in this like totally careless way um so that's kind of an interesting scene
0: yeah um uh, I also had a note here, I realized, because I remember when Hush showed up when we when we started season two, I was like, I barely remember this character, and it feels like they're setting him up to be, like, anime rival, do I just, is there, like, a reason why I just, like, didn't care about what was happening with that anime rig or something? Uh, and it turns out, I fi- I find out the reason why, I, I I realized in this moment, he's totally gone from anime rival to just the gopher, who everyone's like, you know, go get me some snacks or whatever. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> Kazuki-sama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there's some little moment of him like getting something for Atra or something. Yeah. Um, but it was just funny how that like whole anime rivalry setup thing just gets like dropped.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess we'll see if there's anything else that happens with it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh,
0: I truly don't remember Hash as a character, but that doesn't mean that there isn't some final big moment with him as well. Um, there's a, a lot that happened. So a fair amount of season two fell out of my head. Um, anyway, uh, on, so I say, continues to plot and, uh, Ozzy and laughter go shopping. Um, there's not too much to Jazly continuing to plot. So I just left it at that. I figured I mm-hmm. could kind of allow yeah. that. Um, And, uh, Ozzy realizes that she forgot something and she ducks into a store, uh, and Latra's kind of standing in the street and sees this toy store, uh, wanders in and becomes particularly enamored with this teddy bear with eyebrows and a scowl like Akihiro. Um, and then I don't know if you agree with this, but I think this is the most gut-wrenching death in the show so far. Um, in part because so much of death in this show, and I think also... Gundam broadly is like situated around mobile suit combat. Um, And here, there's uh and I knew what, what was going to happen because this this moment has stuck with me uh since the first time I watched it. Uh and you even see the hitman in the window briefly while she's like looking at the teddy bear. Uh and it's just like for me knowing what's going to happen a punch. Uh cause it's just like a guy walking by outside that you you can miss but it's the hitman. Uh and so it cuts outside and he fires through the window and uh kills her. Um yeah, it's you know the- full yakuza hit style.
1: Yeah, it's the Carlitos way effect where it's yeah. like when they're about to get out, and it's like even more tragic because yeah, you have that like, you know, the closeness of like the escape, mm-hmm. um, but also because we love Lofter, um, yeah, and like it's really it's fucked up what happens yeah. here,
0: um, yeah, and it's also just in this moment where uh within the like confines of a mech show, people feel safe when they're not in a mech, yeah, um. And this is, like, this jolting of, like, no, nobody's safe even when they're just walking around in the city streets. Um, anyway, uh, Eco reports the death, or Echo, I, I never remember. I think it's Echo, but I don't actually know how to say her name. Uh, reports the death of Tekadon uh, and says it was likely ordered by Jasley. Um, but they don't have, like, firm proof of this. Um, in a moment of shared grief, Akihiro implores Orga to give them the order. Um, we cut away. We don't, we don't, um, see exactly yet. Uh, it goes to Jazly, who's clearly expecting them to take action on this. Um, it cuts back, uh, and Orga has called McGillis to, to ask about the investigation into Eok, um, and what happened with like the Downslave stuff, um, and McGillis says that uh, if Tekadon decides to pursue Jasley, uh he will support them, even if it means that they lose Tewas. So this is this moment of like um, Orga being like, would we even be worth anything to you if, if we did? Because we would lose the support from Tewas. Um, and McGillis says, uh, we share the same fate now. I would never betray you. Hmm. Um, which, uh, with this guy uh orga please watch what's happening in the other parts of the show (laughs) yeah Uh, anyway yeah uh so tekadon seems poised and ready to act um and mika and orga look over the newly updated uh barbados lupus rex we get the pointing out that rex means king uh mika points this out uh obviously getting tied in their minds to uh king of mars um and mika asks how far should he go uh and orca responds um and i have the the quote here all the way forget about past ties and whatever we are Tekadon. it on we are headed in, uh if we are headed in one direction we don't need any reason crush them to the very last bit um oh no all the moderation that <laughs> that uh Naze has tried to do to calm them down a little bit has failed uh yeah well there's so. there's layers to this um, Yeah that
1: uh i don't know if you just want to like start there with the stuff happening to orga here Um,
0: yeah i think so and also the because i think these three episodes have this like general arc of we've sort of seen this like need to to move them away from this like uh monomaniacal perspective um this like just pursuing like violence and and uh moving forward without like this clear reason um and Nause in particular has been a voice who's been trying to like uh push orga to slow down like make sure you're taking care of your family uh don't take these needless risks if you don't have to right now like you you still have a lot of life ahead of you if you you know, especially if you're not being really risky where you can like achieve that goal of King of Mars or whatever, but like try and slow down. Um, and it seems like in the wake of like Naze and Amina's death, specifically because of how much Naze is like, um, you know, don't come to help. I know that you want to, but like, you need to watch out for your family, all of this kind of stuff. Um, you do get Orga being like, you know, if we act now, it will just hurt the turbines, stuff like that. There's a little bit of like, you know, he lets Akihiro and, um, is it Shino? I'm, I'm yeah. already forgetting. Yeah. Uh, you know, go to, to help out as well. Um, and they do get like slightly involved, but they are like with laughter and Ozzy, like helping to, to, um, you know, escort the, the, uh, shuttles away and stuff, but, um uh, rather than like directly confronting, um, obviously, Yatlin still attacks and they fight back, but, um, it is more of a protective thing uh, but here we finally get this like uh, final snapping this like final last straw which is laughter um, and just like the the you know uh, hit in the streets the assassination of her um, that and clearly like Jazzly has plans and wants this to happen uh, wants them to come after him we'll see how well that plays out for him but <laughs> 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 they they are do also doing what he wants. Yeah. Um you know this is like an irrational and just like they want to get revenge. And, and they know like that continuous. it's what, like Chastley's
1: planning. Or they yeah. don't know exactly what it is, but they know that he like is like leading them into a trap.
0: Yeah. Um but here they just commit and they're just like, you know, we're we're just going to do what we do as take it on and we're just going to smash everything in our way and and we'll win because that's how we've gotten where we are so far um you know some of this makes sense uh i know that there are i think this exists um i've seen some things about like reactions from the the japanese fandom to iron blooded orphans and i think some of this has existed in the u.s fandom as well that um orga seems really stupid in this moment but we've been reading the show i think this makes sense uh like yes it is a stupid act but like this has always been a tension within him and up until this point just smashing through has gotten them what they wanted. Um, see, and like them, like hesitating is when like Naze and Amida and laughter and everybody die. Um, yeah,
1: I, I'm surprised that the fandom, like, or at least like segments of the fandom, like hold this viewpoint. mm -hmm. Um,
0: I mean, also a lot of, there are a lot of people in the fandom who also don't like the introduction of the downslave because they, it it makes combat boring. But I think it is like very intentional in the show's point of, or part of like the, there's this like escalation and there's like this certain modernizing uh, of combat that is happening with Tekadon in the face of like the, the more medieval combat that like Gatlahern has been doing. But also if you just put a bunch of people with like cannons, like it, if you have people challenging you with like medieval combat and then you just roll out like rail guns, um, rail gun. Like you, you know, it's like the equivalent though of like, you just have mortars now and you just launch mortars into your enemies. You're going to kill a lot of people. Yeah. Um the, like, there's, they have finally opened up a certain band technology, and it just allows them to, like, uh, mass slaughter people. Um, in a way that they were, like, previously able to do, but now that, like, uh, Tekkenon's trying to, like, push the modernization in some ways, you know, with the, the mobile suit combat stuff, uh, that we've talked about, like, how is Tekkenon a little bit of a modernizing force to this, like, medieval thing? They pull out this like advanced technology that exists within the the logic of the show and like a uh, ancient thing, and they use it in like a very medieval way, which is that you just like line up archers and fire in. Um, but it's just such a devastating technology, and I like to me, I think that's incredible that you get to this point of all these fights, and it's like, but then what do you do when you when you just have a whole bunch of people firing cannons into you, um,
1: you know? Yeah, <laughs> and that always like that is. That also like happens at least in the UC Gundam shows, like fairly frequently. Yeah. Like, cause it's the same idea of like Well, okay, let me retract that. There's different things going on, but like in the UC Gundam shows, you have like technology developing, and then you have like they just show up on the battlefield one day, and it's like, oh, like, holy shit, like there's just this new weapon that is like <laughs> Uh, you know completely overpowering uh there's uh a, a, this definitely happens in victory um in actually very very similar fashion uh where like a new weapon is developed and deployed uh yeah and it's like doing this a very similar thing um and like you know, within the world of the show, like, okay, why wouldn't that be (laughs) like, this is such an advantage. Um, yeah. Like tactically, Um, why wouldn't this thing be utilized, uh, in this Uh, way?
0: And, and I especially find it fascinating the way that this is being done in iron-blooded orphans, because we've had all this stuff about like the advanced technology that has been like banned to prevent uprising, uh, or people fighting against like yat using it. And now they start fighting against, you know, somebody has mobile suits in the Leia Vignana system that is allowing them to like, uh, just absolutely wreak havoc on the way that Gatler is currently doing things. And so they pull out this, like, uh, you know, also within the, the, uh, world of this like hyper technology you know the it's a it is a past that is like higher technology than the, the future is the way that this like world is kind of constructed yeah. uh but also it is just like it just looks like crossbows or something you know yeah. like the the they are specifically designed to look like a bow um
1: yeah they're loaded like a like a trebuchet or whatever yeah um, we see them getting loaded and it's like you know a second suit loads in the the uh projectile um and then they like fire like trebuchets uh, or crossbows or whatever um yeah i mean it's what's happening is like it's the unraveling of like gallarhorn or the gallarhorn regime um which we talked last time about gallarhorn uh like gallarhorn tried to stop like tried to end history <laughs> essentially um a, a lot of this is starting to like uh become like discussed in the show in this yeah uh and like debated and it is now like up for grabs with the um yeah. coup d'etat uh, so i like, mean we'll, we'll have
0: more to say with the next three episodes around some of this stuff because um I do think that there are like factions around people how people are thinking of this as well, which we can yeah. get into. But and
1: and that is like being staged in the show as like a you know, with Rustle and McGillis specifically um, discussing this in these episodes. Um, but uh, yeah, the the original like Yellowhorn regime tried to like stop history um, by virtue of like you know the level of technological development they had reached, like they suppressed it. Uh, they, like, set a ceiling on, like, knowledge and technology. Um, And then that ceiling was to be, like, maintained in perpetuity perpetuity, along with, like, this static, um, like, social and political structure. Uh, So they tried to just, like, uh, in the interest of, like, arresting the, like, out-of-control proliferation of, like, conflict and military technology uh that was going to destroy humanity uh again also kind of victory theme here um yeah gallarhorn like just tried to end like (laughs) end history uh and did so successfully but like ibo is a show about like um i think we we can see this now kind of in the later parts of ibo is ibo is a show about the disintegration of that regime And, like, the return of these forces that Gallarhorn tried to, like, you know, artificially suppress. Um, And then the way that, like, Gjallarhorn, the fundamental contradiction um, or artifice of, like, a regime doing this. um, Like, all of the references to Gallarhorn as, like, stagnant and decayed um, being, like, a consequence that is unavoidable. because of this, like, artificial, um, you know, nature, constructed nature of of this regime. Yeah. Um, and so now it's just, like, uh, it's enacting the, like, return of, like, oh, okay, yeah, this is, like, this type of conflict, um, this, like, all-out war, uh, this deployment of these, like, uh, exceedingly, like, extremely destructive weapons that were suppressed... Um once you start like reintroducing uh reintroducing them, like the Yellowhorn regime is like unraveling. So it's like, okay, first it's the Gundams, and then it's the mobile armor. And now we have like the Dyne's Um Yeah. And I I think that's just um it's like a continuous trajectory <laughs> of uh of something that's happening. Um yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense within the show, and then also like, uh, it's not the first time that a weapon like this has been seen in Gundam, um,
0: so, yeah, yeah. Also, do you want to know a little bit about the the Norse weapon, the Downslave? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, from from you know, uh, this would be more from legend, I think. Um, so, uh, it was a sword. Um, it means Dawn's heirloom. Um, the name down here being, uh, sort of, I think it like is a, a word that would point towards dad, but it's, um, the name of a dwarf, I believe. Um, and, uh, there's this like famous moment with the drawing of the sword, uh, where this man, uh, has abducted Hogni's daughter. Um, and when Hogni goes to confront him, Haythn offers compensation for it. Um and Hugney replies, Uh, thou hast made this offer over late, if thou wouldst make peace, for now I have drawn down slave, which the dwarves made, and which must cause a man's death every time it is bared, nor ever fails in its stroke. Moreover, the wound heals not if one be scratched by it. Um <clears throat> So specifically this like uh ancient weapon that he has made by dwarves, um, that right. any time that you pull it out, you have to kill somebody.
1: And it causes uh, and wounds it, that won't heal.
0: Yeah, um, and that it never fails to to hit somebody uh, when you swing it. Um. So, yeah, <laughs> very on point uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: So to get back to the the thing about Orga though, um, in this arc of episodes, uh, I think there's like uh, to me there's a lot going on with Orga. Um, And I mean that, like the degree to which he's struggling uh, is very noticeable. Um, Like, I think more than uh, at any point in the show, except for like the stuff around biscuit, um, Orga is like really struggling. Yeah. Yeah with internal conflict uh in like many instances uh but um so we have the first one i think you framed you, you called them both out so you have the first one which is like intervening in eok's attack on the turbines um, yeah where he's like you know not wanting to because Naze has like you know forced him to promise that he's not going to Um, And then there's all these other, like, severe consequences uh, involved with it. And he's, like, uh, almost, like, frozen in this conflict. And then Akihiro and Shino, like, arrive with their, like, their scheme. Um, It's their, like, loophole that um, allows him to get out of it. And then he's, like, bows in gratitude (laughs) because he's so relieved that he's, like, been freed from like having to make this choice that he can't make, and then when Lofter dies, um, we have this scene which was one of my favorite scenes in these uh, set set of episodes, where literally like everyone is just yelling at Orga as he's yeah. like sitting there trembling, um, and the emotion of the like layers of emotion in the scene, because you have Mika in there as well. Um, and it's the cameras like often going to him. Um, but the layers of emotion in the scene are like, um, are, there, there are multiple. <laughs> um, yeah, And it's a moment where like Orga really does not want to do this, um, but he is grappling with like his own, rage um obviously like everyone's enraged uh, about laughter being killed um and i think orga is enraged like you know naze amida and laughter have died and he wants to do something um but he's like you know there's even more severe consequences now uh and also like he has to honor like nazi's memory he's he's um thinking about all the stuff that Naze has like tried to tell him. Uh, and it seems like he, I, I think you pointed out rightly that like all of this stuff with Naze has sunk in. Uh, and I think that Orga in this moment is like in that headspace. uh, But in the scene where everyone is like demanding that he does something, he actually cannot say no. uh, yeah. Because like, it's not just Mika anymore who is like looking to him to like continue this, uh, to t- take this violent action. It's everyone in Tekadon, um, who's like, uh, pressuring him and, and like demanding that he do something. Um, and it's a, a moment where like I think we see that Tekadon has this violence, uh, in it. Um, That Orga can't contain. And so, like, Orga is not, like, truly in control. Um, Or there's, like, a... um, There's a paradoxical element uh, to Orga's leadership that we talked about before. Um, Yeah. Where, like, uh, Tekadon itself uh, needs, wants Orga to be a certain thing. um, And that's shaping him. Uh, but it just, it so happens that the thing that they want him to be is like, you know, the, this uh, figure that pushes them forward. Um, and he really can't get out of this role. Uh, at this point, even though he like, you know, he, he doesn't want to take this revenge. Everyone else does. Um, and so he's almost forced to to do it. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just, this is one of my favorite scenes in these episodes. Um, and I can see how someone would be like, uh, that's Orga being dumb. Um, but I think there's so much more depth to, to, to this moment than that. Um, yeah. That's also really like, it's telling for the the state that Tekadon is in as well.
0: Yeah. Um, the other, uh, I don't know if you want to move to a slightly different point thing yeah um i mean one i will say as the like closing this w- this would be a great throw to us doing the next three movie uh episodes yeah i not would. gonna do that yet we jumped to like um, the end
1: of our notes for this one but yeah yeah
0: um but because this also is sort of this turning point where uh the next three three episodes is like a a return of the you know monomaniacal uh techodon. um but uh i'm gonna send you the the two links here to the um the uh two versions of the reagan loss um so both of these are uh the ones piloted by julietta so the first one um the uh reagan loss julietta custom is sort of the standard one that everybody has i think there's like a few differences um i think most of them are around like the armaments. Um, And then the new experimental suit is the Reagan loss. Julia um, is the name of it. Um, And the things that I, I didn't really realize at the time until I was building it. So one was like a small thing where I was like, Oh, huh. Interesting. Which is if you look at the, the standard Reagan loss, it does have like hands with like fingers and a thumb. um, And there's this whole array of different weapons uh, that you could equip with it. Um, If you look at the Reagan loss, Julia, it just has these like, uh very simple like you know sort of wrench hands almost yeah um, i
1: can kind of see them
0: and then like it's clamps. just these yeah or like yeah clamps or something um that like you know very simple because really it fights with these things that are are mounted to the back and have the like whip sword um where it's like a sword and it can like extend into this whip form um and that's like the only weapons that It has, it's purely just fights with these swords. Um, I think later on it will get like one other different weapon, but, um, primarily those are the main weapons that the Reagan lost Julia has. Uh, the other thing is if you look at the legs, um, so probably if you start with the Reagan lost Julia, you'll see like the two white points, uh, on the legs. There's like one sort of at like an upper knee and then there's a thing down below, um, if you look at that, there's like a little bit of a green at the top of that sort of white segment, um, and if it's you look a at the standard tape segment, um, yeah, sort of the the lower one. Okay. Um, yeah. I guess the shin. Look, yeah. So if you look at the the, the standard Reagan loss, uh, you'll see that same little green part, like right over the you know, um, yeah, sort of like the shin and ankle lower leg. And, And there's just like a foot down below. So like all this space down below with like these little sword parts, uh, that it can also attack with that are attached to like the long sort of foot part, uh, sort of the huge back heel, uh, that is all like a foot that is added on, uh, to the base foot. And so it's just like these two massive thrusters, um, and then, uh, you know, sort of a blade, uh, but just like huge legs here mm-hmm. almost pushing it into um you know some like sazabi style huge feet or something um but the other thing this is the like the biggest thing where i was like oh something is happening here um this is the part that i would not have noticed if i didn't build it which is that this leg is fully articulated. Um, the foot doesn't have too much articulation because it really, when you put that little white piece on it, like locks that foot into place. Um, you can sort of move the part that has the blade and you can move like the back. Um, like you can move the thrusters around a little bit. Um, but like, if you look at the, the standard Reagan loss, uh, you'll see all sorts of poses being done with the feet and the legs, um where you know the the knee will be pulled like you know way out sort of doing a like knee kick or something Mm -hmm. uh lots of stuff like that if you look at the reagan lost julia it's all just straight leg because once you put that huge shield on the side um that leg doesn't move anymore uh and i i it was one like this thing of when you're in space, like how much do you need to have legs that move around for walking? Right. Yeah. Like you just need huge thrusters on the back of your, your feet. Um, there is, if you look at this, there's like a ground mode to the, the Reagan lost Julia and that yeah. one has some more articulation it. in it. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I thought was interesting is like this specific, like, uh, there's talk about like how this would be hard for normal pilots to use. And I think part of it is it's like specifically bonding. Like we, we get this thing of like a certain amount of, um, you know, the, the relation between like the, the human pilot body and the mech body. And what's happening with the Reagan Los Julia is like a, actually binding the body in order to make it more of just like a ship that you can fly around and attack things in. Mm. Um, yeah, and I it's think like that's less, just a,
1: it moves less like a human.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it is specifically, like, uh, you know, taking a human form but making it less human and, like, specifically putting it in, like, bonds to, like, uh, or, like, bindings to, like, just make it operate even more. Like, oh, your your entire leg is just a thruster now. Just, like, think of it as just, like, a thruster you can move around. Yeah,
1: your entire um, arm is just a sword.
0: Yeah. Um, so, th- those are the things where I was I was glad that I built the kit. Um, cause it also added in some stuff that I think we can think about with Julietta as we, we move forward. Cause she will continue to be a, a character even in the, the last six episodes we watch.
2: Um Yeah. It but, seems like more yeah. is coming. Around yeah. But
0: I feel like it, uh, is already having like resonance with how she continues to refer to herself as like, she wants to just be a sword that is the sharpened. sword of Vestal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and things like that like this sort of uh dehumanizing of herself that she is doing to like make herself stronger
1: yeah which i i again
0: get the sense that there's more coming on that um also to jump the gun a little bit uh, i don't know if you have some other stuff with these episodes but i i'll say this here just while we're talking about mech design uh we haven't really seen the um In these three episodes, we don't see uh, the Barbados Lupus Rex in action, but we will next time. Um, And it has this tail that Mikazuki is able to swing around. Um, We're going to get him commenting that uh, it feels like it was always there. Uh, And it is, I think, very notably intentional that that tail is coming out of the exact same spot where the, you know, umbilical cord connects with the Alea Vignana system. Though, like, he's become so used to having that on his back that that's, like, I think part of why he has this, uh like, oh, yeah, the tail is just, sensory. like, a natural thing that I have and that I can, like, move around. Because I've yeah. just gotten so used to, like, my body is to have this this cord attached to me at all times as well.
1: Yeah, the cord is, like, a part of my body from a yeah. sensory standpoint. So I'm used to having, yeah. like, an appendage emanating from that spot.
0: um. But I think Did that's the main new thematic thing with with the Rex version of Barbados. So
1: yeah, that's a it's a pretty cool suit as well. Yeah. Uh as far as um 3940 there there's quite a bit of gender happening. Uh yeah. I didn't know if you had uh if you had thoughts on that uh cuz um we- I was watching it and I was like, this is going to be interesting to discuss.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I do think like there's this, a lot of asserting of, um, and some of it is coming in the same way that like Atra is uh, approaching this relationship with this like guidance that she's gotten from Amita and kind of the turbines in general. Um, then again i think uh you could see how that stuff would go like poorly but i think she has just turned it into this like uh this polyamorous way of approaching what's happening with her and kudelia and uh mika where they are all sort of able to uh support each other hopefully um but then in here she has gotten this sort of um idea in her mind that I think again comes from like Amida or something um, about like tying Mikazuki down. Like if, mm, if, yeah if we can give Mikazuki something to return to like a kid um, that will give him something that he will want to return to um, beyond just us. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of her like anxieties around losing Mikazuki that are, that are uh, wrapped up in this, um, which i think is also different than you know we we've talked about like uh childhood or, or um child rearing and like having kids uh, i think like you know we did the the kino's journey we talked a little bit about how that gets like wrapped into the the you know military side of things um with the the one uh the place where they had like figured out the the way to have peace between the two nations, which is that they make a sport of attacking nations Yeah. Um But I think there's a certain amount here of like, um, you know, Atra trying to like further strengthen this like family. And family is like something that is distinct from the like Tekadon family. We like fight and we go out and we you know, we do this stuff like Atra wants to like specifically uh, more intensely, I think assert a a family that is like uh, her Mika and Kudelia. And so that's part of the, like the tension that's happening here. Um, But it is also getting further complicated with like the umbilical cord for the Gundam. Also then having like Mika as baby to the Gundam. Um, and that the, the Gundam cockpit as like a womb in that sense, um, and this like need for him to move beyond that stage, hopefully, um, in order to like, you know, move out of like this way of being and, and hopefully have, uh, some sort of, um, like, life that's other yeah other healthy a weapon of life and relationship yeah um so yeah uh but yeah i think it's also this is another thing that i think some people can uh that people will will object to um i think some of it is sometimes on the grounds of like oh they're like young characters having babies why is this happening in the show um i think it might be implied that like something happens already if i i I'm fairly positive. I could be wrong, but I don't think in the next six episodes, like the final six episodes, we are going to get a sex scene between them. Um, it has either already happened and was alighted, or like might happen later and is alighted. Uh, but I don't think it's like I don't think it's doing it in that like sexualizing outro way. Uh, I think it is more specifically talking about like one that like um, this is a, a concern that. I mean, I, I grew up in rural Michigan. There were lots of people in high school who were starting to have kids and that's not like necessarily ideal in our society, but, um,
1: something that happens. What's,
0: yeah. It's a thing that happens. Uh, and I, and I don't want to like ascribe, we have to be like morally correct, like characters have to be morally correct in how they approach sex constantly in media. Um, I think that's a, there's like limits to that, obviously, um, yeah. <laughs> I I don't want to like ha- do a show that's all about lollycon or something that'd be f- fucking awful. Um but I th- I do think this is in a very different space. Um that is is more about like ideas of family and uh gender and like child rearing. Um
1: Yeah, I mean we 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 can see like um exactly why like all of the these ideas are important to the characters and, like, why yeah. Atra is thinking about this and desiring it. Um, and then you also have, like, a, I think there's a fair amount of uh, stuff with Atra, like, grappling with her and sexuality, or at least the idea of, like, her being able to have a baby with Mikazuki. Um, yeah. Like there,
0: it. there is a certain thing in the, in her telling Kudelia, you need to have a baby with Mika, where she is internalized this way that, like, uh, she should not and is not sexual or, like, a sexual being because, you know, the, the stunted growth that we've talked about that, like, her and Mika seem to share, uh, for their age, they are still, like, fairly short or, and that's probably coming from, like, childhood, uh, malnourishment or starvation. Um, and there's like this way that she's not thinking about herself that way, but she does with Cudelia because Cudelia is, you know, grew up rich had like access to the things to, to gr- have a quote unquote, like normal growth throughout her childhood. Um, and has been towards like, you know, since the start of the show um, been depicted to, to some degree as like a sexual being somebody mm-hmm. who early on in this, like drops off as the characters get to know her more, but, you know, Tekadon being, Oh, you know, uh, the, the hot girl who's joined us or whatever. Yeah. Um, and her
1: sexuality is like, is emphasized. Um, yeah. A, in the early episodes, which yeah. we noticed. Uh, and discussion. I think this also
0: happens. And, and I think is a thing that I enjoy about the show, which is that like, uh, that also happens with the, the turbines at the beginning where it's like, wow, a ship full of like hot girls and everything. Um, but I, I think, a thing that I enjoy about this show, like to this show's credit is that it, it doesn't, that isn't just what they are to the people, um, that like as gets to know Kudelia and gets to know the turbines. They are more than just like, uh, Oh, here's the hot girl ship or whatever. Um, yeah. they, they like develop as people and as, uh, more complex relationships that people have, even as I like wish that we got more with laughter and Ozzy. Um, one thing I was thinking as I was watching these six episodes and knowing we only had six left is there's so much stuff happening here that part of me wishes that there was at least like another core, like another 13 episodes. Um, if not like an additional, uh, you know, 26 episode season. Yeah. Uh, cause I'm also like, I wish that I knew more of what was going on with like Kudelia here. Um, we've seen so little of her. Um, yeah. And That's... I think there's like an, in, an intentional, like, uh, some of what's happened here is Tekkenon breaking away from Kudelia and becoming more and more teamed up with McGillis has been like a, a detrimental thing, I think overall for them as a group. Um, but there is like, I, I just wish there's more of like Kudelia on screen at this point, but who knows, maybe this is them responding to people saying that Kudelia was stupid in the first season because <laughs> fans of anime sometimes just hate women who are kind of interesting characters. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> that, uh. um, I think that if I had any complaint, um, and you know, we talked about Codelia last time, I think a lot of it holds true about like her being in the background and stuff, and how that's not yeah. necessarily like there's stuff still happening, it's just subtle and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. but even with that, like, uh, watching these episodes, I'm just like, man like Cudelia has been like v- really in the background for a really long time and it, it like you said like there's meaning to it like it, it's reflecting something that in the show um but I do like mourn not seeing more of like what's going on with Cudelia
0: yeah. yeah um but, uh, Please give me, like, an, an OVA that's, like, side stuff that's been happening during this, like, second season. I would love that. Yeah. It's just, like, uh, Cudelia and Atra and, like, Turbine's Hour <laughs> over yeah. there.
1: It's just, like, always Cudelia like, in her office, you know?
0: hmm
1: She, like... I, I think we're asked to um think, like... To, to pay a lot of attention to cudelia like this her subtleties and her like what she does say um because it's like oh yeah you know she's been in this position that appears stagnant but like she's really you know planning and thinking um and, and i'm sure that i expect that she will become much more significant in the final few episodes um that it's like building it's laying the groundwork for her to like come in um, and do something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's still just like, we, we just don't get to see a lot of her. Um, yeah. Which is sad after like season one, she, she's such a big presence. Uh,
2: um,
1: I guess when I asked the question about the gender happening, what I really meant to ask about was um, the exchange between laughter and Amida when they're talking about like lofter loving Akihiro and Amida is like uh, comparing um, like the turbines versus uh, what lofter could have with Akihiro. And she has the line of like, you know, Naze loves us all equally, but every woman wants a man who is fully her own, Um, like encouraging lofter to go and, you know, be With Akihiro, uh, and I was like, this felt a little jarring to me. Um, coming from yeah. Amida, who was the one who was like, so like, uh, like the kind of the main person, like, articulating the um, the like polyamorous idea, yeah, uh, and like, you know, influencing Atra in that direction and all of that, and then now it's like you know we just suddenly get her doing this um i it, it felt a little bit jarring
0: yeah i mean my my generous read on it is um like is two things which is like one she i think she does truly believe that like um you know Nase is a, a man with a lot of love to give and like i would rather be with him than other people I think there's a little bit of a revealing that, like, uh, at the very least, you know, even in, like, polyamorous relationships, there can still be, like, jealousy or or desire for, you know, oh, have it just be me right now or something. Um, And so I think there's a little bit of that. And also I think there's some, like, uh, her telling people what they need to hear. Um, To
1: encourage laughter to go do this thing
0: that she should do. To want, like, to encourage, like, Atra, like, you know... Uh, on that end somewhat accidentally but i think with like a little bit of intention of like hey if you care about mikazuki don't like give up on that as something that you you want or that uh you're going to pursue just because uh like kudelia is there as well um that like one there's like ways that that can work out still um and two like don't write write yourself off but then also trying to say to laughter like laughter you talk about the way that you feel about Akihiro as being different than what you've ever felt before. Like go pursue that. Um, and I, I want to like tell you, I think what you need to hear. And I think with more intentionality than with Atro, where I think there's a little bit of, um, Oh, I didn't quite realize I was giving you this advice. Um, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, so, yeah, but I, I also do think, um,
1: and then there's, yeah, I mean, on top of that, there's also, like, that narrowing of focus on Naze and Amida, where yeah, it's, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, Naze and Amida are, like, the, not the true relationship, but, like, the the, the core of the yeah. Turbians thing. The, that
2: it's the
0: like, Amida is Naze's primary, even if yeah. he has lots of other people. Amida is still his primary. And we, you even get that vibe from the jump, you yeah, know? Yeah, Um. So, but yeah, that gets like further, uh, confirmed as it also, I think does the, the confirmation of like, no, this isn't just like pure harem ship. Um, this is like,
1: there's more to it than that.
0: Yeah. Uh, which I know some people will roll their eyes at, but I, I do think that some of this stuff is interesting. Um, there's ways that the, uh, harem ship could go way worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, and
0: I, I, I think like the turbines in particular are ridiculous, one more I think of when i when I talk about this, which is um I think that this show is often trying to engage with one is like trying to engage with like tropes and themes of Gundam, but I think it's also trying to engage with like tropes and themes that exist in anime broadly, but then also trying to like interrogate them and and do more with them um and so I think the' like what's happening with the turbines and then with like Atra and Kandelion and Mikazuki is this like a specific attempt to look at the way that um, like the harem trope is really common in anime and trying to like uh, investigate that a little bit more um, and like show some of the facets to it that like could be beyond just like this male wish fulfillment, even if it is still arriving at, Two situations where like one guy gets to have multiple women, uh, which is how the harem most often plays out. There is yeah. always the reverse harem, but it's far less common. Uh.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll get that in uh, in our next Gundam series that we cover. Yeah, probably not.
0: Um, I mean, Nana has a little bit of reverse harem happening sometimes. <laughs> yeah, not to not to the quite the trope extent, but uh
1: um, yeah no but th- that's there yeah i mean it's definitely like the inverse doesn't definitely doesn't exist in Nana. um but like yeah, yeah the the re- reverse harem or whatever is um there's points of that
0: and some of this is also just like uh dominant perspective like dominant demographic of a, a work uh like in a and otome, like the dating sims that are geared towards women, are going to be one woman with like eight hot guys who are interested in her, uh, because it's <laughs> meant to be played by a a woman who's interested in guys, um, and you know we'll be able to pick the one that one slash ones that she likes, um, so. Yeah. But I, again, I think it's trying to like look at some of this stuff and talk about like how does this relate to, um, family and. Uh, the other, know, other approaches to relationship and
1: uh, relationships and things like that so yeah I mean it's also a world where like the forms of relation that are like recognized are, are very severely limited um so you have like companies families and you know militaries <laughs> um yeah. and then they' all get like kind of blended together uh, in this way um so, yeah, I think it's going to like, um, just like the world that exists in IBO and and the way that that's constructed.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway. Do we have any um, more for for these episodes, or do we want to move on?
1: the The only thing I wanted to point out is the conversation with Orga and McGillis uh, at like the end of
2: forty one. Oh, yeah.
1: I would never betray you. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. But, uh, the, the line that stood out to me is, um, Orga, uh, saying, you know, we're back to being stray dogs again. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's this like internalized, you know, dehumanization, um, where, uh, Orga is like putting himself in this, um, I think he's addressing Megillus in this like subservient way. Uh, and then referring to the, uh, him and like Tekadon as as dogs, um, yeah. you know, dogs without a master. I think is like the implication. Um, and uh, th- this is a moment where I think you know it's kind of like a flag that things are going wrong, um, because we have the um, I was paying attention to the like the settings of this conversation. Uh, and on one hand, we have Megillus in Izanario's command room, which, uh, you know, we talked about spaces in uh, one of our prior discussion episodes. Uh, and and we talked about this room, uh, but it's this like pure, open, bright, symmetrical uh, with the vista of like the sparkling sea behind. Uh, and then Orga's in this like dark, dirty, you know, closet uh with yeah. only like a very small window in the background um that just shows like the darkness of space. Um and I think there's uh this flag here that like in spite of everything that that has happened um really nothing has substantially changed like in Tekkenon's situation vis a vis Galahorn. Um yeah. that there's still like in this like instrumentalized like dehumanized uh position um that's like subject to the like um they're still subject to all of these like oppressive uh dynamics um imposed by gallarhorn uh even as they are like you know purportedly this equal partner to um to mcgillis and um supposedly going to get this like freedom from it um there are signs here that like, this is really not, not such a good, uh, situation. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm just calling this scene out because I think this is another really great scene. Um, yeah. With some subtlety to it.
0: Um, and of course, uh, Orga valuing trust, you know, so highly, uh, putting it here and McGillis, doesn't care about it at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and you know last six episodes was like we need to remind him of their place when he wanted to get the kill against the um the mobile armor
1: yeah um um so uh, just again tying into the earlier stuff about orga um like orga doesn't pr- really have any other options here so you can be like yeah he's stupid and naive to trust mcgillis um but I think it's also pretty clear he doesn't really um maybe he doesn't distrust him to the extent that he should uh but we'll see in the next um the next episodes that like orga I think is at least suspicious um yeah, but there, um, but he he's in like a very vulnerable um position here uh so. Yeah. I I uh, wanted to, to highlight that scene
0: um you are you ready to move on yeah okay uh rip to Amida the most like an actual turbine
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh,
0: with that I think we can do episodes 42 through uh, 44
1: yeah so episode 42 uh, titled settlement uh the episode opens with Mirabit uh, delivering the news to Cadelia that Tekadon is dissolving ties with Admos. Cadelia uh, is kind of confused by this. Uh, and she's talking about it with Meribit, but Meribit's like, okay, just turn on the TV. Uh, um, meanwhile, the battle between Jasli and Tekadon rages. Um, so we're kind of dropped in like the battle has started now. Uh, in spite of being outnumbered, uh, Tekadon is dominant in the battle. Uh, with the Gundam frames and Mika's Barbados Lupus Rex particularly unstoppable. Uh, On his bridge, Jasley is confused because Eok hasn't shown up yet. Uh, In a flashback, we see he's planned with Eok to destroy Tekadon and have Barristan arrested. Uh, But with Eok missing and his forces dwindling, Jasley begins to panic. So he sends out his uh, human debris fighters, uh, but they also fail to turn the tide of the battle. Uh, Tekadon is just like too... Unstoppable. Uh, back on board the Isaribi, Zach asks Dante and Chad uh, their feelings about fighting human debris. Um, and Dante, Chad, and then Hush uh, basically explain that on the battlefield, it's killer be killed. Um, so there's no space for empathy, um, and they don't really, uh, you know, identify with the people that they're fighting uh, that much anymore.
0: Yeah, Zach seems uh, a little um off put by this answer i guess
1: yeah uh side note um when we were watching this it, it might have been last time when zach like first was introduced uh but sarah was like oh that guy has uh that guy has your hair and i'm <laughs> like that's really unfortunate because this guy probably has the worst hair in in the show Um. but i'll own that <laughs> yeah um, so, uh, we cut to Akihiro, uh, in the midst of battle, remembering Moss's words about empathy, uh, and resolving to set it aside in order to fight and protect the people he loves. Uh, Julietta vents to the mechanic Yamazin, uh, about her frustrations. I don't think we've met Yamazin yet. She's introduced here.
0: Yeah. Um, I missed her name, I think, when it briefly... There's lots of scenes where her name doesn't get mentioned, so...
1: So did I. Uh, so yeah. I wrote the synopsis as, like, the mechanic, and then um, when I was rewatching it, I was like, I know they say her name, so I um, I looked for it, and I found it. Uh, but yeah, Julieta is venting to uh, Yamazin about her... or Yamazin, whatever, uh, about her frustrations at her own weakness and inability to defeat Amida... Uh, and the Amazon tells her that she might need to give up her humanity to become stronger, hint, hint, uh, with Tekadon closing in on him. Uh, Jasley calls Barristan for help and Barristan reveals that he knows all about Jasly's machinations. Uh, he's you know, known maybe not all along, but you know, he knows everything now. Uh, and he also reveals that he made a deal with Rustle to stop yak from coming uh, ensuring that Jasly and his forces would be destroyed. Uh, defeated, Jasly enters a rage spiral and rants hatefully about the stupidity of his subordinates and his enemies, uh, and derides the members of Tekadon as uh, inhuman. Uh, and as he's ranting, Tekadon reaches his ship. Uh, in a last ditch effort, he calls Orga to parley, uh, but Orga pretty quickly cuts him off and reveals that he only accepted the call to see Jasley's pathetic pleas for his life. Uh, And pretty much before Jasley can react, Jasley, like, starts yelling, uh, but before he can really say anything, Miko lands uh, on the front of his ship, like, in front of the bridge. uh, And after asking for approval, obliterates the bridge and Jasley with uh, Barbados' mace.
0: Uh, There's also a great little line when, when Orga's talking of, like, you know, I, I only accepted the call to hear your pathetic pleas. Uh, and they're not even entertaining, so I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. I actually want to talk about funny. this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually yeah. want to talk about this exchange because uh, I think it's uh, a key moment. Yeah. Uh, in the aftermath of the battle, Orga, Eugene, Shino, Chad, and Akihiro talk about how they no longer have the backing of Teiwaz and are now backed only by McGillis' Gellarhorn faction. Uh, And Orga is like, it's time to turn on the TV. So they turn on the TV, uh, which is broadcasting a statement from Megillus' faction, revealing that they have launched a coup uh, against the Seven Stars. And um, they're taking control of Gellerhorn, or attempting to. Uh, The others press Orga, uh, asking him if what Megillus wants and what Tekadon want are truly the same. And after a long delay, Orga affirms that they are. We then cut back to Cordelia and Maribit, uh kind of like bookending this episode, um, who uh, are watching the same broadcast. Uh, they talk about what Meribit will do now, since she's uh, you know, originally Tewaz. And uh Meribit reveals she's resigning from Tewaz. She's already resigned, uh, because she's going to join Tekadon fully. Uh, and they also talk about their, their sense of Connection to Tekadon and, and how um, there's people that they care about uh, at Tekadon. Um, back on the Isaribi, Orga and Mika have a conversation following the the, the meeting that we uh, just witnessed, and Orga tells Mika that he doesn't really care about the title King of Mars, um, or even really the the political machinations. Uh, all he cares about now is he just wants to, like, laugh along with everyone um, at ease, like, once they arrive uh, at their destination. And Mika agrees with him.
0: Um, episode 43, Revealed Intentions. So three days after Tekadon's attack on JPT, which is the, the name of Jazley's like, organization, um, McGillis has called a meeting of the seven stars, and Vidar and Rustel discuss whether to attend. Um, Rustel won't attend as he wasn't invited, but Vidar suspects uh, that he has some idea of McGillis's intentions and he wants to confer- uh, confirm his suspicions and settle things. Um, I believe this is Gladshamer. Uh, McGillis and his forces have seized control with the help of Tekadon and especially Mikazuki. Um, we get like a, a shot of, you know, Mika in Barbados. Uh, there's been a little bit of a, a skip forward here. Um, they are now building defenses against the Arian Road fleet, uh, which is approaching. So this is going to be like the big final stand. Um, Gileo's father, Gallus, uh, comes to confront McGillis, um, and McGillis does, you know, serve a similar, uh, promise that he did to Gileo to keep, uh, Almiria safe. Um, and, uh, you know, says when I'm able to turn things around, like our whole family's position is going to be secured. Like, don't forget, I, I'm you're also your son. Um, and like, I'm, I'm working to like make your family stronger. Um, we then, uh, see sort of a flashback to mcgillis's childhood here um we learn that he was uh bullied um and you know seemed to act out at you know whatever school he was at previously um and then was eventually adopted by uh Isnario farid um who sexually abused him we don't get like a explicit shot of uh it happening but we do get like uh the shot enough. of the bed and yeah enough to to know um uh, McGillis says that he learned about many forms of power and, uh, became determined to grow in his own power. Uh, I, I wrote this specific line cause I think it's significant for McGillis. Uh, I found it the greatest symbol of power in the world right now. Authority, vigor, might, capability, vitality, influence, and brute force, a being that holds all those powers together. The leader of Yatlahorn, Akunika Kayaeru, the truth. Um, and then, uh, meanwhile, Rustal Elyon, uh, so going sort of to the present here, um, Rustal Elyon is biding his time as they prefer- prepare, to fight back against the coup. Um, Iyak Kujan, who is currently on house arrest, asks to take part in the efforts. Um, it's kind of implied that like Rustal's not fully entertaining these, but, um, I don't actually remember. It's not like conclusively stated uh mm-hmm. what response he gets. Um and I don't I don't remember exactly what happens here, so I, I also was like, I don't actually remember how this plays out. <laughs> um, I think
1: I think he kind of like scolds him and is like well Yeah, I don't remember
0: either. Yeah. I feel like it's slightly inconclusive if he's like actually letting Iak uh, yeah. come and take part. I think you're right. Um yeah. Uh one of McIlis's officers, uh I think it was it's not lisa i think it's like liza Enza. liza Enza. yeah yeah liza Enza. um meets with Tekadon. uh he's like a young gatlahern officer uh it's kind of just like a awkward fanboy about meeting Tekadon. uh it's like wow you're so inspiring and great um and they're all like
2: uh he won't okay. shake his hand
0: <laughs> yeah um and he reports on arian Rhodes' movements um and says that they don't have to defeat Aryan road. Uh, they just have to buy time until McGillis's plans are complete. Uh, Megillus goes to meet the Gundam frame. He has longed for, for years, Bile, uh, saying it's the dawn of a new era awakened. Aknika Kairu. Uh, however, he's interrupted by this time. Vidar, uh, not Barbados that crashing in, uh, Vidar crashes in, in the Gundam Vidar. Um, and finally reveals his face the uh, scarred visage of gaelio baudwin so he like pulls off his mask and, Whoa. Uh, uh, by now you should gaelio gaelio <laughs> <laughs> survived um <laughs> no way we, we get this moment where it cuts back to uh julietta talking to her mechanic um yamazine right yeah um and uh you know um She's sort of asking about Vidar's whereabouts, like, where did he go uh, and learns that he went to Earth and is frustrated about being left out of these plans uh, and also being like, you know, why didn't Rustle send me ahead? Uh, I'm supposed to be a sword um, and uh, then has this moment of wondering if uh, Vidar is going to be OK without her. Uh, to which Yamazine says that man, Vidar has never been alone. Uh, we cut back to, uh, I described the, the weird pool of water that like this hanger for bile is as being like the hard sci-fi version of the chamber from, uh, Ray earth where the, the proof of the pillar is housed in like yeah. season two. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a but, great yeah, description. Just, like, yeah. Just like this massive, like pool with just like a mech standing in it. Um, with you know like a thing walking out to to where the mech is um but yeah back there uh McGillis and Galio talk about trust and betrayal Uh, I'm sure we'll have no thoughts about any of this um and uh this is all new all these ideas are new (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh Galileo talks about how even as children mcgillis was distant um but that distance seemed to make him uh admire mcgillis even more uh but then over time mcgillis got better at wearing a mask and hiding his true self but then would sort of drop his mask around mcgillis and that made or would drop that mask around um Gileo, Gileo. and that made Galileo feel special that like mcgillis would drop his mask around him um but then but really it was just another mask happened,
1: under the first mask yeah
0: yeah, when that betrayal happened, you realized that was also a mask. Uh, masks on masks on masks here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, now the fact that Megillah stands before Bile uh, confirms that he only cares about uh, nothing but the things that can be converted to power. Uh, I did the quote here. Mm-hmm. Um Gailio tells McGillis to get in bile. Uh, McGillis is kind of surprised by this. Um, Gailio's like, I will defy you even with that, uh, because I have things that you lack, uh, sort of the the gist of the conversation. Um, and at that moment, Mikazuki, uh, you know, is upset that uh, Gailio would crash in when that's his thing, and so he <laughs> crashes in <laughs> in, in Barbados to face off against, uh, you know, Gailio and the yeah. Gundam Vidar.
1: Not to be undone yeah or outdone
0: yeah yeah um and then McGillis says that Galio cannot beat mikazuki alone and here we get the the thing that was uh you know teased by yamazine um where he says that's true but i'm not alone uh and we get the uh you know turning on the the ray dummy system (laughs) ayn part of gundam vidar shot uh so in uh, the Gundam Vidar is like the Kimaris the and Ayn combined. This is going to become more explicit in the next six episodes, but I think it's clear here already um, that this is the Gundam frame for Kimaris, but it has Ayn as part of it as well. So it's like a fuse between those two, uh, the Grey's Ayn and Gundam Kimaris. Um, and he gives himself over to Ayn and the fight. Uh, we jump back to Yamazeen and she's like, uh, you know, the Alea Vignana system uh is really dangerous to like connect with stuff. Oh, we also get this moment of like there's like uh ghost in the shell style plugs on the back of of Guy, Leo's Guy Leo's neck? neck. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so we basically learn that, like you know the Leia Vignana system uh is very dangerous but it's connecting with Ein Dalton's brain um as sort of an intermediary like uh safety system and then there's the secondary like less dangerous connection to Gileo. uh that's you know the ghost in the shell plugs um and so this allows gaileo to fight in it but he's not losing himself because i'm sort of the one who's like losing himself to the the gundam um it's acting as a buffer to protect him um so you know some some Various explanations there for for what this is. Yeah. Uh, really, this is a setup to like having different people in mechs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, both like piloting and then someone else within it. Because um we also get this implication that agnika Kairu is like fully lost in bile. Um, yeah, potentially the yeah. same type of thing. Yeah. Um, so while Mika and Galileo fight McGillis gets in bile, um, he reveals that he had the Alea Vignana system, uh, installed. He, he underwent the surgery. Um, and, uh, it does seem like the interface is a little different. It's like, a instead of like the, the round thing that goes over the whiskers, he's got like a almost coffin shaped thing on his yeah, back. Yeah. Um, but that one seems to work with bile's system. So, you know. Uh, you just gotta get the correct plug <laughs> um make sure it's really, a grounded outlet yeah really <laughs> lucky that that uh, that Mika had the one that works for Barbados um anyway uh and you know he plugs in and implores uh agnika Kairu to awaken uh Bio begins to move um, and Galio is is piecing out at this moment uh escaping into space I, I think he's the object that's like identified flying um by like the isarebi or something mm, later yeah um, i was wondering about that yeah i my guess is i don't actually know this for for a fact but i think that's gailia um anyway uh rustle uh is now watching this this broadcast that gillis is doing where he's like you know i've awakened bile um and I'm charged now Yeah, that means I'm in charge now. Uh, And Rustle remembers when McGillis uh, was that little kid. We got that scene, uh, you know, however many episodes ago um, of the the young McGillis asking for Bile. Um, And uh, Rustle says that McGillis is a child who can't grow up. Um, On the broadcast, uh, McGillis demands all of Gatlahern to recognize his authority and the power of Bile, which cannot be questioned. Uh but then like literally this is like no one can question this. This is the rules of Gatlahern. Uh Gileo interrupts and says, uh, I will defeat the traitor McGillis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Gileo interrupts to question it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh and that's how we end.
1: Uh so that takes us to episode 44, uh entitled The Man Who Holds the Soul. Uh so as we know, um, broadcasting from space, Gileo announces he will defeat McGillis. Um Rustle then makes his own uh, broadcast um, and is basically like, hey, you know, all like all of the shit that uh, McGillis's faction just told you that Gallarhorn is doing and is like super bad. Uh, Just wait till you hear all the shit that McGillis has done. um, And here it is. Uh, So basically reveals all of McGillis' machinations uh, leading up to this point. And uh, accuses him of treason Uh, and then uh, refuses to bow to bile uh, and affirms that he will, in fact, battle McGillis. So it's on. Uh, On Earth, Mika and McGillis talk about the Alaya Vignana uh, surgery. Uh, Mika is questioning it because he and all of us
0: thought that only adults could have the surgery. Or only children could have it and adults couldn't.
1: Thank you. Yeah, only children could have it. Uh and McGillis reveals uh that he has been conducting research and experiments with the Aliveignana for years in order to uh, have it installed on himself in pilot Bile. Uh later, at a Seven Stars meeting with Lord Baklazon and Lord Falk, I think I I think these are the two guys.
2: Uh, um, one of
0: them is like a real like uh Fantasy motherfucker, or like a uh, this is an alien species in a Star Trek show where it just means their ears are weird or whatever.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and his like beard is weird as yeah. well. Yeah, I think it's Baklazan and Falk. Um, yeah, I think so. I checked the Gundam wiki like really quick. I pulled up the entry for the Seven Stars to get the names. Um, yeah, and I was like in and out because I was trying not to get any yeah. see any spoilers. Uh, yeah,
0: Nemo Baklazan. Okay.
1: Yeah, and then the other guy is Falk, I think. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we know these guys. We've seen them now multiple times, so we know who they are. Um, uh, and Megillus uh, demands obedience uh, since he now has control of Bile and, uh, quote, unquote, the soul of Agnika uh, Kairu, uh, which technically, like, by the laws of Galahorn. Commands ultimate authority, Um, or at least that's like the Nugulus's expectation. Yeah. Uh, Baklazan and Falk refuse, (laughs) um, revealing that they will uh, stay neutral. Um, They're like, well, we're not going to disobey Bile, uh, but we also can't, like, we're not going to fight Arian
0: Road. Um, yeah so we're just we, gonna stay neutral and see how this resolves
2: yeah
1: like and also like you're an enormous dick and we really don't want to like uh fight with you so that's pretty that's that's at play here as well so we're just gonna be neutral um uh at this moment gallus boduin person uh and like confronts Megillus for um you know all uh, all of the shit that he's done uh, and it's like, Including you murdered- murdering his son. Yeah. You murdered my boy. Um, <laughs> my boy <laughs> and McGillis is you've like-
0: done to my boy. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> McGillis is like, actually, um, I didn't murder him at all. Cause he's obviously still alive. So why are you saying I murdered him? Um, no, he doesn't say that. Uh, but, uh, McGillis like doesn't even acknowledge really, um, Gallus like anger. Um, just, like, coldly dismisses him uh, and reiterates, uh, you know, the the same, like, position that he has had. Like, oh, I'm your son, too. And also, I control Bile. Um, So none of this matters. Uh, These minor, like, things that I may have done uh, are insignificant, because I I now am, like, the absolute authority. Uh, In space... Uh, Rustal has conversations with Galileo and Ioc, where he expounds on his his own vision of Gellert uh, and contradicts/slash criticizes McGillis's interpretation of the significance of Agnica Kairu and Bile. Uh, interesting stuff here. In yes, yeah, I'm sure in we this. won't
0: have any thoughts on this conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, n- not at all. Uh, meanwhile, uh, McGillis finds Almiria at her mansion, or whoever whoever's mansion this is that she's staying at. Uh, she has armed herself with a knife uh, in preparation for his arrival. She's uh, furious and devastated at his betrayal, which she's learned about from Rustle's broadcast, uh, and tells McGillis that she she's going to kill him. Uh, McGillis adopts his usual demeanor with her and tries to like basically smother her feelings, um, insisting that he didn't lie, uh, that he loves her, and that he will still make her happy, in spite of everything. Uh, Almiria like breaks down, saying she still loves Megillus in spite of his betrayal, uh, but also despises him obviously uh, for what he's done, and then starts to kind of like express uh, self hatred, uh, or just like extreme anguish over her conflicted feelings. Uh, she then she tries to kill herself with her knife, uh, but Megillus stops her by moving his own hand in the knife's path. Uh, and and at, as a result, Amel- Almiria plunges the knife through his hand um, as he's like enveloping her uh, in this embrace or whatever. Uh, at this moment, Isurugi arrives and informs Megillus he is needed elsewhere. So Megillus leaves with the knife in his hand. And Almiria is left alone, covered in his blood. Uh, Megillus reveals to, uh, later on. Now, um, reveals to Tekadon that his plan has not succeeded, actually, and they will now have to fight Arrian Road like full force. Uh, Megillus assures Orga that this will be the last battle, and Orga adopts that as the rallying cry for Tekadon, uh, who interestingly all eagerly adopt it uh and start to kind of repeat it amongst themselves dexter and Marabit have a sidebar where they talk about their respective decisions to stay with Tecadon. If you have
0: forgotten uh dexter he is the kind of nerdy accountant from way back in like the first six episodes
1: <laughs> yeah the um, forcibly conscripted uh but then he chose yeah. to stay with them um so we get some stuff from them about about this uh, we also get conversations with Gglio and Julietta, um, Gaileo and Julietta talking about um Ayn, uh, and Gaileo kind of expounding on like, um, you know, encouraging Julietta and expounding on uh the whole thing with
0: Ayn. Uh, a little thing I, I laughed at too was, um, julietta seeing Leo's face and going oh you're more handsome than i was expecting <laughs> <laughs> i kind of thought you were ugly under there <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah that is a good that is yeah. a, a a funny moment um and then we also get conversations with eugene and shino and yuki no and zach um i can't remember is it dane the other like guy yeah. who works with zach yeah um I don't want to gloss over these, but, uh, Eugene and she were talking about Orga and Eugene, uh, kind of notes what we d- discussed earlier, which is that, um, Hey, you know what? Maybe like we're kind of making Orga do this stuff. Uh, and like, and she knows like, yeah, <laughs> we are, uh, because he should be. Um, uh, and, uh, and then Zach and Dane, uh, Zack once again, is like, this seems a little crazy. Um, and Yuki Nojo uh, overhears it and is like, yeah, it's okay for you to think that. Um, don't just like fall into this bloodlust like everybody else has. Uh, if we had more people like you, then it might make Orga's life easier. Um, later on, uh, Migilis, Orga, Isurugi, and Mika... Make preparations for the upcoming battle. Uh, Infuriated by Megillus' disregard for the lives of Tekkenon members, uh, because Megillus is like, yeah, you know, we're just going to have some casualties and um, we're fighting the Aryan Red Fleet, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, Just like dismissively, you know, anticipating the the deaths that are coming. Uh, Orga punches Megillus and demands to drop the pretenses between them. uh, And Megillus appears to agree. Uh, Atra and Kudelia uh, talk on the phone about Mika. Kudelia explains that she has decided on a path that she feels is the correct one. Does not elaborate what that is yet. Uh, And then tells Atra that she's the only one who can be there for Mika right now, since Kudelia's current path won't allow her to be. Uh, Atra reminds Kudelia that she is a part of their, i.e. Tekadon's family, or maybe just the um, Atra-Kudelia-Mika family. Um, Yeah not sure not certain what she means here uh afterwards atra uh goes to talk with mika at Barbados um revealing her fears for his safety and um finally articulates uh the fact that that she loves him uh and then she like starts crying because um you know her her dread at like this the battle that's upcoming and her fear of losing Mika yeah. Uh, Mika hugs her, uh, telling her that she's precious to him, and explains that the only world he knows is fighting. Um, and that's why he makes a comment that, like, fighting is easy for him, um, which kind of sets Atra off. Um, but it, he's, like, elaborating that um, it's easy because it's the only world he knows. Uh, but this time, the reason he's fighting is that so Atra will stop crying. Um, which seems to imply, um, that, uh, what he means is that he's fighting for an end to the fighting. Um, and that he intends for this to be the last battle as well. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of stuff in these, uh, in this back half of these, um, episodes here.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, I guess probably McGillis is a good place to start because we finally get the reveal of like his Yeah you know, his background.
0: Um yeah, we can talk about McGillis here.
1: Uh I guess the thing with me, um so we learn that he's like also an orphan. Um so McGillis is also an iron blooded orphan. Uh that's true. <laughs> and it's like fully, you know we know that he is like marginalized in some way within the Gallarhorn uh you know, like society. Uh, but now it's like fully revealed that he um is like an orphan who was like abused and starved and beaten um like on the streets and then was taken in um by Isnario and put into like this weird boot camp uh where Isnario like you know is like choosing the kid he's going to adopt um after testing them in in these like various ways um so we get this like you know this connection between Tekadon and Megillus like you know fully established um that they're both uh orphans and uh had the same like background.
2: Um, yeah.
1: but then we also see uh I think this connection serves to uh sharpen like the way that Tekadon and Megillus are in diametrical opposition to one another. Uh insofar as like the conclusions that they're making respectively um arising from their, uh, the circumstances of their background are, are the opposite. Yeah. Um, or, um, maybe opposite is is too simplistic. Um, they're both like recognizing the need for power. Uh, and then like, you know, seizing power uh, in, in the various ways that we've seen. Uh, but McGillis is like, you know, refuses all of the concepts and,
0: um, and in particular, um, like family in a way that makes sense for his, his history of like abuse, including sexual abuse at the hands of his Narya.
2: But yeah,
1: um, but yeah, in, in doing that, um, you know, refuses all of the like concepts and emotions that are uh, like definitive to Tekadon. it on. Um, and instead, uh, just like fully seizes upon like power um, in and of itself uh, as like you know the en- not the means to the end uh, but the the end um, that that is desired. Um, so I-, I guess that's the like initial um, the first thing that that can be said <laughs> about uh, yeah. the reveal here
0: um <clears throat> yeah and I, I think also there there's like the the last thing that i know that was like a big uh thing that fans took umbrage with with uh iron-blooded orphans and like ways that it concluded um is also in addition to like orga being stupid quote-unquote that mcgillis is also stupid to like think that getting bile would like mean that he just gets absolute authority um but a lot of this like i i do feel like the work is being done here to show how mcgillis has this like uh obsession yeah this obsession with like power and with like monomania um, you might say yes a monomania uh with power and towards this like um in this like moment of trauma like childhood trauma uh getting this sort of mythic story of what Yatlahern is um and and placing a lot of belief in that and like the what the pinnacle of power within that is um in a way that I think also has uh, a certain parallel with like Kudelia and the the book of revolution uh the history of revolution or whatever that, uh, that book that she reads yeah. um i think there's also a certain uh parallel that's happening there as well um where obviously they are also approaching it with different, you know, Cudelia specifically towards like, I want to become some sort of maiden that will inspire other people um, to like, you know, fight and stand up and these sorts of things. And McGillis again is like uh, not only monomaniacal, but also like uh, deeply selfish in the way that he approaches all of this stuff. Um, It is about him specifically like uh, feeling a, a lack of power, um and, and then wanting just wanting to, yeah and then wanting that control and that power and to like seize the greatest power that he can get um and i i think there's like a, a certain amount of rustle being uh you know mean but accurate about like mcgillis is yeah. also in this like arrested uh childhood or like lack of like because he w- was not given the the space to develop uh and have like a normal healthy childhood. I'm I'm obviously putting scare quotes around normal, but also like very clearly the the abuse that he's, uh enduring is not something that like children should have to undergo. Yeah. Um and so like that lack has like uh caused him to have this uh sort of I think like fixation within his mind around like uh this very specific how do i like seize control against the people who who hurt me um in a way that uh you know it would probably be do do better with uh therapy than with bile (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah um, the um
1: fixation is is a good word uh yeah and i think that the fact that like Well, I mean, we've seen McGillis make a few missteps, uh, over the course of the series, but not many. Um, and the fact that like his plan doesn't really go off, um, because he overestimates how everyone else is going to react to Bile, uh, because he's just like, he is so bought into like the mythic significance of it on this emotional level, um, and then, like, you know, just assumes because of how much, like, how meaningful it is to him, um, he's, he's, like, blinded <laughs> and just assumes that everyone else is going to have that reaction. Uh, but then, like, you know, when he gets it, everyone's just kind of like, yeah, but that was a long time ago, you know, that Gundam, like, yeah, it's pretty amazing, but um, it doesn't really mean as much to us as it does to you. Yeah, and he's like, what the hell? He's like frustrated. Um, I think that all goes to like support, uh, the read that you're making.
0: Yeah, of like, it's well, not really and, rational. What he's and this doing. goes into all the stuff that like Rustle is talking about with like a legend in history being alike yet different. Um, and I think also to go back to like an early interpretation that you had of McGillis as like a a deconstructivist, like I want to break down like the pillars of this, uh, structure so that I can try and reform it. Um, and what's actually revealed here is that, uh, I, he, he does have this like understanding of the pillars that like uphold the society. There's a certain amount to which he wants to like use the pillars for himself, but also has like misunderstood what those pillars are um in particular like thinks that the the legend is the pillar and not like the ways that things in those legends can like become inscribed into society like it's like thinking that um by making like uh america like not uh, a christian nation quote unquote would like undo all the ways that like Christianity, is in Christianity the yeah Christianity like, has like become yeah. embedded into the system in other ways where people can be completely secular and yet there are still like Christian ideas that exist and the the pillars of American society are less like uh you know some specific like if Jesus returned I don't think a bunch of business people like capitalism wasn't wouldn't fold like yeah, probably yeah. there'd be a lot of turning against jesus yeah you know yeah exactly <laughs> it would be like
1: yeah like f- fucking you know the like shareholders of like the oligarchs like Elon musk would just be yeah. like yeah whatever like you know that was a long time ago <laughs> it was two thousand yeah. years ago jesus like we don't really you know i'm not just gonna give yeah. up my you know billions and trillions of dollars um i think i'll be neutral on this one and see how it pans out
0: <laughs> yeah see how it plays <laughs> out um yeah uh and so i think it's some of it is that it's like this uh it's again i think it's thinking that the legend is the pillar and not the other things that exist um and this certain like oh, I want to, like, break through this um, taboo against body modification, but also, like, again, in a very, like, selfish focus on himself, like, specifically for him, so that he can interface with Bile, uh, and that if he can do that, then he can command respect, is his belief. Yeah, um, and that that must he,
1: be right, because that's, like, what he needs to, to like, attain. Like, his vision is, like, him piloting Bile, and that yeah in, entails, like, the Alaya Vignana system. So it's that like, you know, um, absolutist, like, oh yeah. So this like must be the right thing, you know, being against that is like, you know, completely wrongheaded. (laughs) Uh, because that's like the truth, you know, is, is me piloting bile. Um, and, and bile is like the ultimate, uh, you know, entity, uh, and meaning.
0: Yeah. um, But then also there is, and I, again, I think this is a subtle like parallel or foil to stuff with, with Cudelia, which is, he also has this strong belief in like the, the image and the idol that led, like be the representation of all these things that people would be just compelled to follow. Um, And that actually the like true systems that run the world are more complex than that. Uh, Sure. Like uh, an idol or like a, a figurehead that you can put up can be like beneficial for a lot of reasons. But as we saw with Cudelia, like the McMurdo and um whatever the the other guy who we've moved past now.
2: <laughs> oh god. They're it, they're if happy you to scheme in up. The, I would have been able to, yeah. Yeah.
0: They're happy to scheme in the smoke-filled room. You know, uh yeah. like uh a figurehead's not really going to change things there with Cudelia or with McGillis. Um you know the all the political mechan like uh machinations that are going to happen here are going to continue to happen um and so i think in a way that i find interesting but again there are people who are like oh they may make stupid or something um but like mcgillis and uh Cudelia both had this certain moment going into like the end of their respective seasons uh for the ones where Cudelia is with Tekadon, and McGillis is now with Tekadon. Of mm-hmm. this, like moment of thinking that the 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 legend and the like figurehead or the idol or something is is like more uh, integral to change. Um, and sure, it's like a thing that can push it, but that there's like so much else that happens there. Yeah, um,
1: and like that, the meaning isn't contested. You know. Yeah, I think that's like McGillis's error is that or one of them, um. because, like, also, side note, it is funny that I, like, said all that stuff about Megillus when he killed Gaileo. I'm like, yeah, he, like, doesn't believe. All he cares about is power. Like, um, he just manipulates symbols to, like, gain power. Um, and then I retracted it because I was like, oh, maybe he believes in Ayn, Ayn Rand stuff. Um, yeah. No, no, no. That, it was what we thought. Uh, yeah. It was the first there thing. Is- but there is also
0: uh the the one like change is uh, not just manipulate symbols for power, but that he has con- confused one key symbol for just absolute power. Yeah,
1: and um, like he is this deconstructionist in the sense that he like he understands that um you know the world is like made up of of all of these symbols and that's um structuring the way that everyone is like uh you know living and understanding uh the the world and their lives and and all that um and then he wants to like play with those symbols to to gain power um but then he like uh overestimates the significance um because he's he's so aware of this and he's so like you know uh fixated on on like manipulating things in this way uh that he's then just like, Oh, I got the ultimate symbol. Um, so then it's just going to do everything. It's like the, you know, the theory into practice dilemma, um, where, you know, he, he's like overestimating the, um, like how significant this is. Um, or like, uh, again, like that it's not contested, um, which we find out very quickly that, (laughs) that it is. Um, and i think we get kind of the um the counterview with uh rustle uh yeah. where he
0: has this more like uh uh materialist history perspective <laughs> yeah you're <laughs> right. he's communist but i think he has more of that clear uh idea of like history as a thing that is distinct from symbols um, yeah
1: absolutely um because he's like yeah you know Agnika Kairu did found Gallarhorn, um, and that's like, you know, a fact. Um, but really, like, even though he's this like founding myth and this like, you know, foundational symbol, um, really like what Gallarhorn is, is like these structures, is this like history that's transpired and these structures that are in place. Um and so like that has so much more to do with like everyone else uh who's part of Gallarhorn and uh than it does with like Agnika Kairu. So really he's just like Agnika is just one small um you know is relatively insignificant um in the scope of this like you know materialist <laughs> uh history of Gallarhorn. Um so uh yeah i guess we'll see how, how all of that plays out there's uh, also
0: a bit of this that's um you know how there's like a lot of stuff with the supreme court and things around like the what did the founding fathers mean when they wrote the the constitution and everything oh, um yeah. but also it's like very plain the ways that that is just like used as a a myth pretext to, yeah and a pretext to like do things that are informed by like uh history and like current uh current historical moment and and, yeah Yeah. historical moment um and then mcgillis is the person coming in and being like i have revived like benjamin franklin and he (laughs) says this and then people are like yeah but we're still gonna ban abortion or whatever you know i'm sure franklin would be fine with banning abortion but you know (laughs) yeah Yeah, (laughs) whatever whatever it is is. yeah yeah yeah, exactly it's like oh yeah
1: thomas jefferson like thought that everyone should have like you know five like Acres of land, so and be a farmer. So, I'm gonna like everyone gets land now. Like, we're liquidating all of the Monsanto and shit. Yeah, like we're giving the land to just like individuals. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're not doing that. Like, um. uh, America's just as much about Monsanto as it is about Thomas Jefferson, you idiot.
0: <laughs> um. Well not, not the Quell are having a good laugh, but do do we want to shift it a little bit to the stuff with McGillis and Elmeria while we're while we're still on McGillis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I I think this stuff is uh you know, this is obviously a, a very um difficult and like sensitive thing. There you know, huge content warnings throughout all of this stuff. Yeah. Um I think this is like the, the biggest thing that I warn people um going in Said something fall from a shelf. Uh, I think it was just like a piece of paper, but um, yeah, you know, warn people going in. Um, Cause this stuff it, for, for people could be very triggering. Uh, but I do think that there's, uh, there is like sensitivity here. And I think there's a, uh, like, I think it is honest about the ways that like Almeria is being groomed by McGillis that does not mean that there are still not like that she doesn't have genuine feelings that have come out of that towards him. Uh it also doesn't mean that he doesn't also have some sort of like kindness or uh you know love or whatever it would be in his heart. Uh those emotions can exist and that also what he's doing is like deeply abusive and manipulative and uh has very clearly like in in this scene uh in particular like uh traumatized and like uh seriously hurt that this like girl's life and her her mental status and every like there's there's the repeating of the cycle that we obviously see here uh which can be a, a a common issue as well um and and again i think like the all of the complex emotions that she's having here feel very uh, genuine, and it, like that, it's trying to take this stuff seriously. Yeah. That she would like feel this love, and then also feel this, um, this like hatred for him, like both what he's done broadly, but also I think to to her, she's talking most directly about like Galileo and stuff. But this is also like knowing that that he would kill Galileo and lie to her, like the depth I think of the also, deception yeah is also this moment of like realizing the degree to which he has just been using her um and then feeling that like uh self-hatred around like why do i still have these feelings of love towards this person who i am now understanding as like an abuser um which is these are all just uh you know real emotions Very that wrong. people will go through um so again i think like a lot of this stuff is triggering just because it can it can like really get to the heart of things that people have gone through similar experiences might feel, uh, and can be like difficult to just have brought up while you're trying to watch your cartoon. Um, but I also, uh, at least for me, I think this stuff is, uh, you know, is handled well. Um, and again, I think is in some degree trying to engage with things that have come along with like Char as a character. um, as well as the various ways in which, like, McGillis manipulates uh, everybody within his life and and the lack of, like, uh, actual, even if he might have some genuine emotion towards Almiria, the way that, like, his, his entire worldview, um, his, like, lack of ability to, to move beyond this, like, state of trauma that he seems to be in from what happened to him uh, has just made him into uh and he like leans into being this person who does not have like genuine love and trust and care for people and will will deeply hurt people including like a young girl um yeah
1: and and i think this scene um there's like this sequence of uh interactions where gailio or sorry not Gaileo um mcgillis mcgillis is forced to like confront the people that he's uh like abused or betrayed yeah um like it's like his mask off moment he has the mask off moment with like several different people in sequence throughout these
0: episodes this is when he's removed the mask they had underneath the mask you know the yeah. mask that he wore around Gaileo when Gaileo thought he wasn't wearing a mask.
1: After yeah. removing the physical mask that he used to be Montag.
0: yeah, and then removing the mask that he normally wore around people, he's then removed the mask that he wore around Gaileo. Yeah, uh, and now is just everybody sees him for the you know the person that Gaileo saw.
1: Yeah, um, and and I think the way that it's like sequenced, there's a, like the pattern here, um. I think it's significant because what emerges is that he handles himself almost the exact same way in every single one. Yeah. Um, Where uh, it's a combination of like, um, like a unilateral like insistence. Um, So he, he doesn't like acknowledge uh, whether it's Gileo castigating him for like his betrayals of his friends um, or Gallus, you know, calling him out or Almeria. Um, he refuses to acknowledge uh, their like emotions at all or respond to them at all. Um, yeah. And just like has this unilateral insistence um, on whatever his party line is. Um, so, uh, you know, with Gileo, it's basically just like, Oh yeah, like, you know, yeah, you got me. <laughs> so what? You know, I have I have bio now, uh, and I've got the upper hand on you, and I don't give a shit about you. Um, and with Gallus, it's like, you know, I have bio now. I don't care. Like, all of this is beneath me. Um, I like, you know, I I control you now. Uh, and then with Almiria, it's like, no, I never lied. Um. Everything I said was true, I still love you, um, and I'm still going to make you happy. Uh, and he adopts like the exact same demeanor uh as he like did previously. Um, and so I think the upshot of all of this is that like, like we've been talking about, um Magillus's vision, uh, so he has no empathy. uh he has no trust, He doesn't value those things. Um, and so any like relationship with another human that he's going to have is one of like dominance and subordination, um, because he's obsessed with control. Um, and so his like preferred model of dealing with another human being is like completely unilateral. Uh, and even as he is like appearing to, um, adopt this like tone and, um, demeanor of like comfort with Almiria, like oh i love you etc um really what he's doing is like you know gaslighting her on one hand that like oh i never lied uh but then just trying to like force upon her even more strongly um everything that like he was already trying to you know groom her to believe um, he's yeah. just like insisting on it even more forcefully now. Um, and, uh, so I, I think that's kind of what this, uh, one of the things this scene does for me is just, it's like the culmination. Um, cause this is like, you know, probably his most brutal, uh, like betrayal, uh, yeah. and treatment of someone is Almeria.
0: And his most um, like, his most like outright evil, yes, you know,
1: yeah, and so it's like th- this is the final moment where it's like, okay, we're truly seeing Megillus. <clears throat> like in the this most extreme moment of like his worst actions, uh he's just doing the same shit that, yeah, like he's treating her the exact same way, um and because like this is how he sees relationships,
0: yeah. There, there is, like, uh, two other interesting things in this, which is, one, um, I think sometimes in his, like, assertions, there is also this, um, I don't know how much of it is, like, genuine on, on his part, or if it is just an additional layer of this, but, like, I think some of it is, like, j- just genuinely, this is how he sees all relationships. Yeah. And so sometimes his responses are also coming from this point of view of, like, I uh, I have, have like divorced myself so much from emotions. Why can't you do that and just see that? Like, yes, I'm going to improve like our family, our family standings. Um, yeah. I killed you know, your brother,
1: but that's no reason I can't make you happy.
0: Yeah. I killed your son, but that's no reason why like, I can't help us uh, gain like additional power and prestige within the seven stars. Wouldn't that be good for you? Don't you want this? Don't you want like, I'm also your son. You still have a son. you know yeah you have me why do you care about the other son you have me like you have a son i'm gonna carry on your family line yeah forget Um, about
1: the other son he's dead like that's pointless (laughs) to think about that
0: you were fine with me when you didn't know that i killed him (laughs) and he was just dead like uh and so i think there is like a certain tinge of like um almost disbelief within him that like other people cannot set aside their emotions in the same way because he is just so uh, intensely um, suppressed them. But also in this way that he is also, I think you're correct, like weaponizing and instrumentalizing people's emotions Um, because of just the way that he uh, has sort of come to think of and approach all of these things. Um, The other thing that I think is a interesting note here is uh, he does still stop her from killing herself. Um, and at this point, you know, I, I don't entirely remember where all this stuff goes. I don't know if there's like more to his plan that like he needs to have Almiria for, but it kind of seemed like his plan culminated with getting bile and he has that now. Yeah. Um, so there is still a, a deep within him something that, that does not want her to die, and I don't know if that's like a genuine care for her as a person, or if that is just like I want to continue to have this like person who I'm, you know, manipulating and abusing and everything. Or like um, I can use I, her later
1: if like, yeah my plan. You know, if like complete this plan with her, whatever it may
0: be. Yeah. Uh. So I don't want to say that this moment is like there's still good in him or something, but I do think that there's something significant in the way that like. Uh, he will allow himself to be hurt in this moment to uh keep her alive and i, I specifically chose the word keep there uh to like keep her alive yeah um because i think there is still a uh what that means keeping her alive is still meaning keeping her within this like uh, abusive relationship that he's developed um but I do think it's a, a key part of his character that we can also think about when we get to the, the last six episodes. I don't remember everything that comes, but I, I do know that like his hand being stabbed will be a significant thing. Um Interesting. so um I do remember something around that. Okay. Um so yeah, I I wanted to point out that like while while all that stuff is true, it is also I think a, a significant part about his character that he get stabbed in the hand to stop her from dying rather than allowing her to kill herself here yeah um, yeah and that, I think like, you're right her to... being alive isn't somehow Im- important to him
1: yeah I think you're right to point that out um, yeah because some of this stuff with McGillis is definitely up for grabs like there could be other um, interpretations of this obviously yeah um, so I mean I think the fact that it's like you know grooming and abuse and all that is um is that's pretty indisputable. evident and yeah indisputable yeah. but but beyond that uh <laughs> you know i think there's uh there there's a lot that there, there could be different perspectives which i you know i welcome uh yeah so right in if you you know we still have another episode to discuss megillus so uh the discussion will will evolve, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, if you're listening to this episode and you have other uh, thoughts, uh, write in. Let us know what, you, what your thoughts are on McGillis.
0: Yeah, ghostiverspot at gmail.com. Um, we've got some other stuff to talk about. I, I feel like it was good to spend a lot of time on McGillis because these episodes have been signa- significant for him, but I think we can... Um, you know, touch on some other stuff here. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to note, which I think you also made a note of, um, but we can talk a little bit about what this means. When, when Mikazuki lands and is about to kill Jasley, um, he has his left eye closed and his right eye open. Um, one, I, I is in this moment. The, um, d- does uh, Orca have the opposite.
1: I I'm sure he does. I can't yeah. remember if, for sure but i'm sure he does
0: um i feel like there's some there's something in there that was pointing to that so so i had like two kind of things with this which is one like this using of mika and orga um that's sort of represented by that by like the right and the left eye uh both of them mono uh you know monomaniacal mono vision uh but then having it um you know in this way but the other thing that's that's key here is that like every time that we see mikazuki with uh you know or we had orga closing his eye and stuff it was the right eye which is the eye that when mikazuki's not connected to um barbados that like uh he can see out he of he ca- he can't see out of his right eye and now he can okay yeah that's um, right yeah yeah normally he cannot see out of his right eye he can see out of, out of his left eye um and so I think there's, like, a couple things that are going on with him closing his left eye. One is this, like, uh, the part of him that is, like, seeing right now is the the Barbados part. When he is connected to Barbados and that eye works, like, that eye, like, belongs to Barbados now. In, in a sense. Yeah. Um, and that is the only eye he is using right now and so some of it points towards this like fully giving himself over to barbados uh but there's another way of reading it which is that he is closing his left eye because in the same way he did with his left hand with with uh atras like bracelet that like the left side of him is the side that he's trying to hold back for atra and here he has his left eye closed because he's trying to hold that back um and so I think there's like a tension in, in that image. Uh, it, it really struck me as like, this is very intentional. And I think um, there, there's maybe also this, like uh, in that tension, this danger of like, how much can you hold back one side for the other uh, in trying to hold back that left side? Are you f- just further giving in to like the right side being a part of this? Yeah. Um, you know rather than yeah. it, like allowing the 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 atra Opposing. eye I will say the left eye to like also oppose the right eye uh yeah. you're just fully allowing the right eye to to do to see in and do what it wants right now um so i um i will add
1: to this at the end of episode 41 um well here let, let me i won't cut you off did you have any uh, no,
0: that, that was my like main thing there, but um
1: I, I love that you brought this up because uh this ties into I think it's a good entry point for the stuff that's going on with Mika in these episodes. Yeah. Um at the end of 41, uh there's this conversation with Orga and Mika where Mika says, How far should I go? Um which is uh feels like a shift um because it's posed as a question first of all um and i think the questions in the past have been uh you know who should i kill next type questions
0: yeah well and also the the thing that's happening here is also like uh are we there yet have we gotten there like we're, we are going to the place that we belong and like are we there have we gotten there uh, is this it and i think it's also being paralleled with that where now it's how far should i go you know yeah. to to get us there
1: um yeah and um there there's a subtlety to this shift um but i think it's like mika is is questioning uh this path uh at this point. yeah Like, like you said, how, like, how far are we going to go? (laughs) Um, And then like, are we there yet? Uh, Is like a subtext um, to this question. Uh, Whereas before it was like, you know, Mika um, pushing Orga, uh, typically pushing Orga, like, go further, go further, go further. Um, Now Mika seems to have some like trepidation or hesitation. Um but uh one of the things that I that I noticed uh in this conversation is that um Orga responds all the way and then we get a shot like a close up on Barbados's eyes uh as Mika like accepts. Um so there's this acceptance, but it's like um kind of indicating that uh Mika's voice like his acceptance of this, uh, you know, continuing down this path um, is like accepting through the eyes of Barbados. Um, Like it's this version of Mika that is like um, at one with the Gundam. That is um, this, you know, weapon um, where these things are imbricated. Like uh, we talked about end of the last discussion. Um, All of this just to, you know, Link that back to the point that you made, which is, you know, Mika's eyes, um, coming into play again here, uh, where it's like this play of, is it Barbados's eye or is it Mika's eye? Um, cause it's, you know, the eye that only works when he's in Barbados, um, as he's like, you know, doing this act of violence, um, accepting this act of violence, um, but then also the act of violence is like following uh, another question, which is, um, you know, what should I do? Like he lands on the front of the ship yeah. um, and he's like, Orgo, what should I do? He doesn't just immediately kill Jasly. He questions it again. Um, so it's like almost completely recapitulating the scene at the end of 41. Um, you know, I- here again um yeah so uh indications that maybe mika's own like internal conflict over um over the, the path of violence uh is you know is taking shape um or becoming more serious um even as he is like you know still caught up in and all of this um the death march
0: yeah um oh quick aside on the the death march thing uh a thing i wanted to point out just because um i looked up this what the spider lily meant when we did uh paranoid agent because there's like the huge fields of it that came up um in the one with uh the the older detective's wife um but it's that like red flower uh, Mm. that also showed up in licorice recoil. Um, But uh, that the spider lily or the, the licorice uh, is like the genus of plant or whatever. Um, It is associated with final partings and especially death. um, And in Buddhist writings is said to, to guide the soul through the cycle of rebirth. So uh, I just wanted to point out in the midst of all the, uh, you know, march of death that we're in uh the op also has the symbol in there uh that's sort of tying two things that the show's been talking about with like rebirth uh death those sorts of things Mm -hmm. um but to to sort of continue with mika uh do we want to talk a little bit about the 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 mika and atra stuff yeah yeah and then we can maybe jump back from that to atra and Cudelia.
1: yeah sounds good
0: um so yeah, you, I think you have written out here, uh, I don't know a world without fighting, but this time I'm fighting to stop your tears. Um, Paraphrasing, but yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, th- there. there is, I think, uh, in the way that there has been with a lot of this stuff, uh, a tension where um, I think the, I think it's significant that, the what he's saying stops that. I'm finding to stop your tears, um, which does point towards one well, a different reason for fighting, um, and uh, it being like the thing that's making atra cry is him having to go out and fight, and he wants to bring a stop to that. So he like wants to bring a stop to the fighting. Um, I think this is a a conclusion that comes, you know, this this is what's implied by what he's saying. Um, but I think it's also uh, important and significant that he doesn't go all the way to say that um, it is still specifically he's not saying I want to fight to end all fighting it is specifically like around Atra um, and just mm-hmm. wanting yeah. to, uh, you know, not hurt her anymore. Um, but and that it's like still also couched in this, like him not knowing a world without fighting, like he doesn't. All he knows is fighting. Um,
1: yeah, even as he's like, well, yeah, I'm fighting to stop. I'm fighting for this, like, more definitive reason that's not just, that's not one of the reasons I've had before. Um, it's still, like, existing within the realm of fighting, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, yeah, he, he's admitting, like, that, you know, this is this is all he knows. Um, yeah so he's still like trapped in this um worldview and like um narrow like band of, of action
0: yeah um and i think this is also then interesting and significant with the stuff that Cudelia says um where you know previously we got the whole wants to she wants to create a world where children like mika don't exist where like these child soldiers don't exist um that this kind of uh you know system of oppression and everything uh and like warfare that's being fought by these child soldiers uh where that can end um but then she admits here in this moment to uh atra that like there is this weird contradiction in all of this where um you know she longed for this family like tekadon has uh the like ability that tekadon has to try and do like to, to make this these pushes to, to you the know force it,
1: of their bonds that can like, yeah. shake up the world and, and make change yeah and,
0: and that could make this change that she wants is also a thing that was created by them existing and uh coming together under harsh conditions that like that is what like united them that, that strengthened their bonds um that they are perhaps in some way like iron that has been tested in the fire and made strong <laughs> like a flower of iron <laughs> yes um and so you know also this kind of and, and in a way that i don't think is is meant to be like she's been fully shaken in her belief that she wants to create a world where like children don't have to fight but that she's recognizing the the um contradiction that like the thing that that she's been like holding on to 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 do that is a thing that has been created by children fighting um and it is like being pushed by children fighting um if she wants to like you know the first season is like her using these children fighting to try to like bring about a world where they don't have to fight and there is a, a contradiction in there and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like uh not a, a thing worth pursuing um but it does mean that there's like there there's something going on there where uh she's like i think fully admitting to the and especially atra yeah both the contradictions and also specifically the contradiction of like uh i love mika a lot i also want a meet a world where mika doesn't exist and that like i i'm recognizing the way that that's like a especially to atra to like say that is like a kind of a uh uh like difficult thing like i yeah i i'm in some ways fighting for a world where mika doesn't exist and atra will still like assert like there's something else that mika could do but when we get mika continuing to assert i only know a world without fighting i don't know what i would do if i wasn't fighting uh like there is this like danger or um you know intense fear around what that means
1: yeah um I'm, I think this, these ideas tie into um, some of the, like, the larger theme of just, like, conflict uh, in and of itself that IBO is dealing with. I think I want to wait till the end before.
2: Yeah, before uh, we go
0: further into this. Yeah,
1: like, I want to see if there's more with Kudelia, with her, like, expounding on what her um you know final vision is uh before i do like a, a final read on um everything but i i agree with everything you've said yeah um that i think we'll be returning to uh to this to conversation this, yeah, yeah probably next time we talk
0: <laughs> um i mean it's gonna be the end so yeah um, yeah
1: we're gonna we're gonna return to everything um, um,
0: is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap?
1: uh, only one thing and and quickly, although this this is a uh I think a, a great like episode and I don't want to gloss over it, but um the uh <clears throat> uh episode 42 um after Jasly's killed um, Well, first of all, Orgo's dialogue with Jasley, uh, where he's like, "Uh, I just wanted to watch you pitifully beg for your life. It wasn't funny at all, though. Um, And then after Jasley's killed, uh, we get, like, um, shots of a number of the Tekadon members. Um, So I'd say, first of all, like, uh, the score and, like... um, Just the direction uh, in the sequence following Jessly dying is like a mournful one. Yeah. Um, It has like a a mournful atmosphere uh, overwhelmingly. Uh, It's not like a triumphant or, um, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like satisfied uh, feeling. Um, It's like uh, a feeling of emptiness And like shots of hollowness. A hollowness, yeah. And then shots of all the Tekkenon members just like breaking down and crying. Uh, And then Orga, too, like with his hand over his face, Um, just like in his chair, silent. Um, And I think that uh, this is also. uh, This feels like a significant moment. Um, with regard to the question of sadism that is brought up like you know way a long time ago um the like whole idea of revenge um you know, part of that is the satisfaction, like that sadistic satisfaction of like exerting pain on the um you know the person that that you're taking revenge on um and all of this episode is like, you know, take on, feeling that and wanting to like channel that so they can go and fight and then like take that satisfaction uh yeah but then like when they kill jasley which i mean i was sat i as the viewer was satisfied when Jessley's killed yeah because um, fuck that guy yeah because i want to like you know i want to take revenge on jasley um
0: yeah but also in a way that like doesn't undo uh you know Lofter being assassinated and stuff yeah um
1: and the fact that like that uh you know triumph or satisfaction is like um so strongly uh like not only denied um but like challenged uh by like the the hollowness. Um I think it's like a challenge to the viewer, it's supposed to indicate um You know the the situation of Tekadon here, like the emptiness of this violence, um, in the face of like all that they've lost, Uh, and then also like all the members of Tekadon are they they've changed, uh, yeah, in this way that like you know they they want to channel this like these feelings of sadism, um, but they they can't, Um, like they just feel this like sadness for. Um, yeah for for the loss of like Lofter and Naze and Amida um, yeah and uh, so wanted to, to call that out um, because it dovetails with Orga like you know Orga's uh, comment to Jassly is like yeah it's really brutal like oh I wanted to watch you pitifully beg for your life it wasn't funny at all um, so you can kind of read this as like you know, him just being extremely brutal. Uh, but then I think with the context of what happens afterwards, uh, it kind of throws a new light on this where it's like, yeah, it wasn't funny. <laughs> like it's uh, – there was no satisfaction in this, uh, even though we were, were seeking it. Um, and like, you know, something has changed about us. Yeah. Uh, and then that kind of sets the the stage for the – like. The desperation of Tekadon. By the end of episode 44, I think we can sense that they're like tired. Um, Yeah. Like they want it to be the last battle. um, And they're just like clinging on to that.
0: Yeah. I think also a thing in this, that's something that I've been, throughout this episode in particular, uh, becoming more and more aware of as I'm like thinking about these episodes in relationship. To the entire series, um, is I think actually like up until this point, um, ending with 44, uh, there's actually been a number of times when like season two has been paralleling with season one, um, you know, and that includes like starting with sort of a, a child soldier like group that's being used by like older soldiers and having to break from that that we get in. Earlier parts of of uh season two that also parallel with the start of the the show um but that also includes things like there's a paralleling a funeral um there's a paralleling here of you know the the revenge against carta the revenge against jazley um the way that like everybody is watching how cool and like powerful and amazing the revenge against, uh, Carta is. And then here it's like, has that hollowness. It's not, uh, like in many ways, the parallel is like becoming more, uh, like bleak or less satisfying or, um, more complicated or like, uh, compromised um and so we also get the paralleling of tekadon being sort of paired up with a a blonde-haired character espousing some form of revolution um and you know kudelia is coming from this like genuine wanting to help uh the oppressed and mcgillis is obviously very self-serving and just fixated on like power for power's sake and for his own like control over uh everyone in his life um, and, you know, the culmination of the, the election, uh, that happens at the end of, um, you know,
2: the the, the first season.
0: season yeah. Uh, and then sort of the, the ways that that like fails to create like, uh, massive systemic changes. And then the way that this like coup also it, it seems to be failing to do the same, uh, who knows how it's going to play out, but, um, you know, so far the, the seizing of power or whatever doesn't like substantially change things immediately. Everyone uh, is challenging McGillis rather than, or being, you know, diplomatically neutral. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's uh, a great
1: call out. And I hadn't realized the like extent of those parallels between the seasons. Yeah. Um. um for me, that's a great place to, to end the discussion. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think you, I I want to end on that thought as we go into the the end yeah, of the year. Yeah, uh, because now
0: we're beyond the parallel. Now it's what happens after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Um so uh so next time we will be talking about episodes forty five through fifty, uh aka twenty through twenty-five of season two. Um aka just watch till the show's over. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching along and you're wondering how much to watch, watch until the show is done. Um if you have emails for us, send them into ghost diverse pod at gmail.com. Uh, we've referenced that a few times throughout this episode. Uh, and I realized uh, the last time that we did it, that um, if you send emails after hearing this, it will be after we have recorded all of the episodes. So um, we, we will truly just get to it at the question bucket, uh, but please send those in, um, you know, it's coming up. So, uh, and I, I'm looking forward to getting some good, uh, emails for this. Um, I know, we, I, hope I feel there. like we are getting more people listening. I feel I've seen like more different people responding in like the discord and stuff. Um, rather than our, I, I love our core group. Um, Ina, you finally, uh, got her DVDs and has been watching and trying to catch up. So, yeah. Uh, shout out to you, okay. Ina whenever you're hearing this, um, I'm sure we'll get an email whether or not you finished it in time. So, um, uh but yeah. yeah.
1: But um yeah, we, we obviously love like our um you know, you know who you are. Um yeah. the people who've who've always
0: been listening. Um Joel, really, you've already gotten a call out in a previous episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh
1: but it is really um it's always like, you know, humbling, uh and also um It's just really nice when, when we hear from people who, uh, you know, we haven't heard from before and who are getting something out of the, of the show. Uh, I, uh, I don't know if I've ever said this on pod, but you know, I've said it to, to you, um, you know, my, my aspiration for, for ghost divers is, uh, I just want it, uh, ideally to be like part of a discussion, or like a starting point for a a discussion on a series. Um, So whenever it does that uh, for anyone, I, you know, I, I I always feel good. So yeah, it's cool when, when we see that.
0: Yeah. We try to, we try to go deep, but um, also like there's always stuff that we leave on the table, even in shows that are not uh, having as much in every single scene as iron bladed orphans does yeah uh where i do synopses and i'm like i just gotta pause like at the end of every single scene and make sure i got what happened in there (laughs) yeah but
1: this is definitely a show that is really uh it's it's dense and there's a lot to be
0: said so um um i think the only time i have written a longer synopsis is for the very final episode of uh like the final episode of Utenna that we did, like with <laughs> our final discussion episode. I yeah. feel like I wrote like an extremely long one there. Um, but yeah, if people enjoy this, uh watch Utenna um and listen to our season on it. I'm still really proud of that one in particular. Um anyway, uh thank you to the Export Audio Network for supporting us. Uh people can go to exportaud.io and that will take them to you know, you listener, you'll go to the Patreon. Uh, you'll find links to a bunch of the shows there. So even if you don't want to give money to the the Patreon right now, uh, it's still a great way to like see what other shows are on the network. Um, at some point, we might try to like set up a, a website that's not just the Patreon, but um, you know, you can still find things there beyond just uh, giving us money. But also, we love when you give us money. Um, <laughs> you know, if you do, because that's uh, what we do this for. <laughs> uh <laughs> for money yeah just cutting you big checks every time connor got that um, gunplay yeah.
1: sponsorship deal
0: yeah um one dollar gets you early access to uh a bunch of podcasts not us but uh other people or other podcasts um and uh five dollars will get you exclusive access to a bunch of uh you know bonus episodes for shows um you know I think there's been like two for ornate stairwells that are on there. Um, coffee and comic books does ones regularly. Um, it's like, you know, half of the the episodes every month are exclusive. Um, pop town funk, um, happens when it happens currently. Uh, I think a lot of the pop town funk energy has gone into part of my franchise. Um, but, uh, you know, there's still stuff for, for the $5 patrons. So, um, I'm just going to quick call out the other podcasts that I do, starting with the one that we both do, Pondering Pouton. Um, finally, we have gotten Pouton in the manga. By the time people are, are hearing this, there's been like probably multiple chapters that have mentioned Pouton. Yeah, Pouton's old news. It. Yeah, we, we've finally gotten uh, Pouton, the character. So uh, it's here nine months into the podcast uh but if you go to export slash putan you can check that podcast out uh we have a timer so we can only talk for 30 minutes which is very hard for us
2: <laughs>
1: yeah but it's but it's good for you and easy
0: yeah uh and i think generates a fair amount of humor
1: <laughs> yeah hopefully
0: um But, uh, yeah, I've been trying to figure out, like, the best way to describe that podcast. And the way that I've landed is... um, It's a glass puzzle. No, I think the the (laughs) honest way that I describe that podcast to people is that you and I, in a way that I think was built up by, like, the time that we worked together and we would just, like, talk, uh, you know while we were in the office and stuff is that we just like built up like a, a certain like improv rapport where we can just like riff on stuff and, and go. Uh, and I feel like this also developed more as we did the podcast as well. Like, uh, you know, ghost divers, uh, but we've just reached like a certain like brain melt, uh, drift compatible thing where we just go into like improv bits sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and there's, there's a lot of yes, handing on Puton. Yeah, um, I think that's
1: that's a good description. Yeah, um, sometimes we just talk about our lives.
0: Yeah, I think we but that, we, th- that, th- that is a its good own amount. bit.
1: Yeah, and then we turn that into bits, yeah. uh, so you don't know, you know, what's what's, serious, what's real what's and what's fake. Yeah, what movies we have <laughs> remembered and what movies we
0: haven't remembered. Um, we also talk about Gundam on there a lot. I feel like we're going to get like, I'm going to finish victory and we're just going to have a victory Gundam episode of Putan, Yeah, where we just like go full spoiler mode.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I, um, I feel that coming.
1: We almost had it yeah. earlier.
0: Yeah. But, but we I've stopped ourselves
1: because yeah. we, yeah, so. we'll end that too.
0: Um, also if people are listening to this uh not yet but like in a little bit so great gundam project is doing uh See destiny and i'm going to be on the finale for that so a thing to look forward to um the other two podcasts that i do that i'm going to shout out uh ornate stairwells it's a movie podcast um export odd.io slash ornate stairwells um it's a good time we we have this like dumb running bit where we rate the stairwells in all the movies. Um, but it's not really about the podcast is not about the stairs. That's just a stupid bit. We do. <laughs> um, <laughs> important
1: clarification there.
0: Yeah. I told somebody about the podcast once and, uh, they misunderstood that it was specifically a podcast about us watching movies with good stairs and talking about the stairs. And I was like, Oh no, it's just a movie podcast. We just have a stupid bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other podcast that I do is around the Longfire. Uh, this one's on the Abnormal Mapping Network. Uh, so if you go to abnormalmapping.com longfire, you'll get there. Um, it's me and my friend M reading through Icelandic sagas. Um, when you hear this, we are probably still uh, deep in the paint with uh, reading Heimskringla, which is uh, a book written by an uh, old Icelander um, named Snorri Sturluson uh this is like back in 1300 or something uh where yeah, he wrote the old. yeah where he wrote the the history of the kings of Norway um and there's there's been some good sagas so far i think our our two favorite are uh inglinga saga which is just a long list of kings and how they died uh just some very funny deaths in there um and then the other one that we we've read uh at the time of me recording this is the saga of uh, Hofdan the Good. That's the other one that we, we liked a lot because uh, there's some weird, like, uh, Christianity versus heathen um, stuff in there with, like, can being Christian but most of Norway being heathen and, like, the, the tensions and stuff that developed there. Um, but we also just talk a lot about Gundam on there because M does great Gundam <laughs> Project and I'm currently watching all of the Gundam that they've watched, so... <laughs> uh happens a lot we we talk about it frequently um yeah that's it for all the plugs uh if you want to follow the podcast uh we are at ghost divers pod on twitter or just at ghost divers on co-host you can follow me at fox momnia on twitter co-host uh whatever else you know letterboxd uh any list all those stuff where can people find you
1: y'all can find me at rabelais uh on twitter or co-host um, I think that's it. Yeah, ready for the finale of IBL.
0: Um, yeah, I, I am very ready. I I got to the end of these and I just wanted to go and I actually watched the final episode just because I needed to like see it. Sometimes see we just it. gotta we just gotta yeah. do the ending. Yeah, you know? um, but I've held off on really talking about stuff. But, okay, Good. Um,
1: But not next time. Next time we just unleash.
3: Uh, so, bye, bye, everyone.
1: um
0: as a note we'll have to take a shorter uh or we'll have to take a slightly longer body break at some point um because we since emily was like really sick and then she was spending most of the time in the bedroom sleeping in the bed everything and i was sleeping on the sofa for like most of this week um and we're washing the sheets so they're like clean before I go back to sleeping in the bed as well that um, makes sense but right now they are in the dryer uh, I am mm-hmm. the one who makes the bed uh, Emily does not do that um, and Emily is probably going to go to bed while we're still recording So you gotta um, get the sheets on yeah I'll have to get the sheets on at some point okay. So, um, but I figured we could start recording because the dryer still running um, and then probably whenever I first need to uh you know body break we can do that which okay. uh i i probably will need one tonight cuz i'll i'll try to keep uh drink check quick um cuz i feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about for the main podcast yeah um, <laughs> but could be um i've got a, a water in here um you know as usual um i've got some tea that i'm finishing up because uh i didn't drink my tea earlier uh, and realized oh, i should really have that because I'm getting tired. Um I have a Karen Ichiban um and then my fourth beverage in here. Uh this is the special Four one. Four beverages. Yeah. Uh is iron brew. Um Oh yeah. Yeah, iron iron brew. Yeah. Iron brew. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I know it. I I know yeah. I know it. Well. Um so for there's like a uh um place that's pretty close to us that's like primarily irish goods and food but also has some like scottish stuff in there as well um and for easter emily likes to get stuff from there because um like most of the the chocolate like eggs and things are they just like taste better like there's like better speckling and stuff i don't know what the exact difference is but um you know if you get like cadbury mini eggs and stuff like that which she loves um but, and then also just like getting fun drinks and other stuff to go into the like Easter baskets. And so I've been holding on to the the iron brew um until we <laughs> do an iron blooded orphans episode because hell yeah, um, you know uh, iron brooded orphans, yeah, um,
1: so. that's a great pull. I'm gonna go get some fucking iron brew for our finale episode, yeah, that's a great idea um the place that i've told you about before the like it's enormous international grocery store that is in cincinnati for some reason um has uh iron brew so i've gotten it from there yeah yeah i like it yeah uh it's uh it's got like a
0: it's not like just um cream soda flavor but it kind of reminds me of a cream soda
1: you know yeah that was my it had um it has like partial cream soda and then the other part is kind of like more like herby in a weird way like herby yeah. in the way that like malort is herby you know what i mean mm-hmm. but not I, I as like intense as malort not even no, not even close.
0: Yeah. Um, I just noticed that my VPN is connected, so I'm going to turn it off. But there might be a hiccup in the process. Okay, no problem. Just so you know, um, this is off now. I don't know if you can hear me. I still can. Yeah. Okay. I feel like every. I feel like sometimes when I when I turn it off, there's like a brief moment where, because um, I think it's related to whatever, you know, there's the like protector thing where if it just like fails, that will cut your internet.
1: Um. Oh yeah, kill switch.
0: Yeah, I feel like sometimes that that uh will have an effect. Sometimes even when I turn it off. Yeah. Um, uh, it seems to be fine though.
1: My drink check is water in my green cup, the lime green cup, uh, speckled one, and uh, or the bubble like the bubbled one, uh, and my mug, and I've got oolong tea, but I have. The, uh, this is ginseng oolong tea uh which they gave me by accident cuz when i went into the the tea store like a couple months ago uh um, yeah i put in my order and then they just like were filling another order at the same time and then gave me didn't give me something i bought and then gave me like this uh and then i i left i got home and i like noticed it, that i'd gotten the wrong thing
2: cuz i yeah. have the other
1: the other oolong which is like formosa oolong and i was like no no no, i didn't get this but whatever i'm not going to complain all, it's not a big deal and then they called me like over a week later the tea store called me and they were like hey we messed up your order (laughs) i was like what how did you (laughs) how did you figured that out and then you called me like that's that's amazing um and like I totally appreciate that. Uh, yeah. They're like, yeah, we've got your uh, Korean green tea here. So just come get it whenever you want. And so I got that as well. Um, yeah. But they didn't ask for this back or anything. I mean, they, they probably couldn't. Uh. So I've been drinking it and I was also, I was pretty tired earlier. So I've had like a whole pot of this and I, I feel freaking great. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, highly recommended. it, Seng
0: Oolong. Um, I'm looking up the described uh flavors for this. Um, and it does say that it's like a mix between a cream soda, an orange soda, um, and a ginger soda with like a little bit of. It specifically when you're talking about like yeah. the thing that's in like malort as well, it would be like uh the bitter part. You know, like yeah. the herb is like adding a little bit of bitter. It's a little bit bitter. It's got that um, like. It's kind of, it's kind of like a, a, without like nearly the same bitterness, but it's kind of like a, like Campari soda, you know? Yeah. Um, it,
1: it's got that, like, this chemical is the wrong word. Cause I mean, it's all chemicals and it's yeah. not like bad, like a toxic or uh, you know, like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not bad, but it's just that weird. Like there's that sharpness to it. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, like, that's the, the herby side, that it just, like, has that sharpness.
0: Um, it's, it's like, a lesser version of, like, sometimes when I'm eating really spicy food, like, uh, piquant in particular, you know, where it's, like, mm-hmm. uh you, you really have the, like, capsaicin going in. Um, I'm, like, it is, like, interesting that, like, these plants uh developed this as like a, a defense mechanism and now i'm specifically eating it for the like <laughs> thing that is supposed to be like harming me and and it uh backfired. making me not want to eat it and that's like the whole reason why we cultivated and eat it it has not fully backfired because now they get cultivated uh yeah, which is true. you know good for the 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 plant survival but um yeah uh and it is sometimes there is that like a certain bitter quality to like herbs and things too there's a certain amount where I'm like I enjoy this but also like I feel like it has this to like make bugs not want to eat it or something yeah you like know? it's
1: it's like objectively like kind of an unenjoyable flavor yeah like to, like you're you're just like sheer sense reaction is like not you like the the bitterness of some of that stuff yeah like you can't um, enjoy it because enjoyment is like you know, a higher order, like cognitive process, yeah. Um, but just like your mouth reacting to it is like repelled by it.
0: Uh, the the wireless version of this is uh neem leaves also called curry leaves um and usually i think the ones people call curry leaves are specifically what would like often be referred to as like sweet neem leaves which mm. are the ones that you would like cook with you would you would put in um you know I, I will use it in popcorn all the time it's really good uh with like you know some other spices if you're like making a little spiced popcorn to have some neem leaves in there but it's like used in lots of indian cooking uh ends up in you know dolls and all sorts of things Mm. um but uh one time i i accidentally because i I was not paying attention to the label uh i got the neem leaf that you're just supposed to scatter around your plants to make bugs not even want to eat those plants because the (laughs) neem leaves are there (laughs) Because like you can also get like neem leaf oil to like spray on plants just oh neem oil Um,
1: that's what okay yeah yeah Yeah. okay i just made Uh, that connection
0: and I I cooked something with it, and it was like I I was able to eat it. Emily could not. It was like so bitter. Um, wow. It was so like intensely like oh yeah, that bitter flavor that like some things have like a little bit of that's enjoyable. When it's really intense, like this is just like yeah, it's that it. You like spray it on aphids to kill them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Is that in some of those like um like HR? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, the Yeah. yeah yeah because some of that gets super bitter
0: yeah um yeah i feel like it'll end up in in those as well i mean there's some other um bitter like herbs and spices that will also go in there but um
1: yeah yeah i there's a indian um oh if you
0: if you're getting an extremely bitter one sometimes it might be that there's bitter gourd in it
1: Okay, it it may have been because I I yeah. there's a restaurant here that um I asked for it and then they gave it to me and I was like whoa I took a bite of it and I was like wow that just punched me in the mouth that is so <laughs> strong like I've never yeah. had <laughs> I've definitely <laughs> never had that before uh, yeah but it was it was cool I mean I I, yeah. I didn't eat all of it I'll admit but. Uh, I enjoyed like experiencing it.
0: Yeah. Um I've I've had bitter gourd sometimes and I do enjoy it, but it all it is just like uh one this is clearly an acquired taste. Um yeah. and two like a little bit will do you, you know. Yeah, it was like um, so
1: sour and so bitter. It was yeah. just like it's very intense uh to have in your mouth.
0: Yeah um anyway uh before we get to the actual proper episode i'll I'll just do this here um i don't know if you've been thinking at all about my <laughs> never <laughs> the, the one thing that i knew uh the like huge spoiler i knew um I've, yeah have you I been have... watching like wondering if something is it
1: uh i after i watched i was thinking about it and i was like i don't feel like it was in this series of episodes okay. Yeah, was I was not in a ask, series of episodes. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. But yeah, I I wanted to see like maybe you hadn't even thought about it or whatever, and that's fine. But it, no, I was you thinking had been about like, it. Oh, I was wondering if this thing was it, or I feel like it's not in these episodes. Um, the thing that uh, Jo thought, uh, was the spoiler I knew was in these episodes, which is the stuff with um, Mick Gillis and like his his uh adoptive dad and stuff. Mm. But. Yeah. Um, no, no because else.
1: we knew, like,
0: yeah, we uh, we, but also in a way that like you can sometimes kind of miss, and also doesn't come up until season two. Um, we so that's we like have a like, lot like, of season one,
1: but yeah, I mean, we do get a lot of new information with McGillis and whatnot, and yeah, these. you get like the big final reveal, yeah. Um, but there is some like extrapolating that you can do prior yeah. to that. I think it's just that, like, I think we've just reached a point where we talk about shows and, like, media so much that I just have an intuitive, like, sense of what you would think. Like, whatever thing that you're referring to, for you to be, like, presenting it this way. Yeah. Like, I at least know, like... I know what type of thing that would be. Yeah. You know the magnitude of that. And I'm like that's why I watched these episodes and I was like, there's no way it was something that happened in these. Yeah. Um but I was gonna ask you to to confirm. So yeah. I'm glad that we confirmed it.
0: Um so the main thing you, you do know so far is that uh it does happen in the last six episodes, who knows where. Uh, mm. but also that in like towards the end of season one, I was also wondering if it was gonna happen so
1: okay um i'm gonna try not to like predict it yeah i think i have an idea about like at least one person involved um, yeah i think i i know like i have a guess as to like at least one person who's involved in it um but i'm not gonna guess i just want to see yeah but yeah, I feel pretty confident
0: that when it happens, I'm going to be like, yep, that's it. Yeah. Feel free to like text me when you watch. <laughs> okay. <all> right, <laughs> if there's I a will. moment and you think that was it, feel free to just text me. Unless you <laughs> want to save it for the podcast. Um,
1: no, I'll probably just text you. Yeah. Because I just think I'll, I'll know so strongly in that moment.
0: Okay. Yeah. There will also be a story that we'll tell in the podcast. Anyway, shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, make a little mark here. Let's take a bathroom break real quick. Let's do it. And I'll, I'll make... It won't be that quick because I have to make the bed.
1: Okay, no problem.
0: <clears throat> okay, I should be good to go. Okay, <clears throat> awesome. Thank you for waiting for me to do some sheets.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, no worries. It's all good. I just went in and I turned the light off in, in the bedroom because Sarah always... Oh, he just falls asleep with the light on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: Sorry, I, I always go ahead. I,
0: <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I understand that. Um, I do it less with, like, electric lights, but uh, I do actually sleep pretty well with, like, lights. Um, but my best is, like, if you're, like, uh, taking a nap in the middle of the day and there's, like, light coming in. That's, you know, good sleep for me. I sleep I sleep pretty well with the lights on. Yeah, it can be nice with a nap.
1: <clears throat> um Yeah, I mean I don't know where when but I read a thing that was like it's not really not good for you to sleep with the lights on. Um, yeah. So I always make I always wait until she's like, you know, well pretty well asleep and then I go and turn it off. Um Cuz she doesn't care if I turn it off while she's sleeping um but also like she's not gonna do it you know yeah so i go in and like i try to turn it off pretty early in the night so she gets
0: like a good sleep yeah okay um you good you ready to go yeah i think so um oh do we want to do content warnings? content warnings are you still recording yes okay Um, so in terms of content warnings, I, I feel like if you've made it this far, (laughs) right. There's not that much new. Um, but you know, there, there's, uh, I got, there is like a significant escalation in the, the violence and tragedy department, I guess. Um, you know, we got some like impalements and things. Um, so be, I guess be prepared for that, but, um, yeah, otherwise, um, what there, there is, I can maybe try and find the, the bits, but there is like a little bit more with, um, Almeria and McGillis. Um, so I, I can like call out, uh, I'll do it in the, the episode description again, but like the specific, um, you know, timestamps on, uh, episode 49. I -hmm. think that's like the main one. Um, I it's like less significant, but I could, especially if people have already been skipping it. I think you know they can also just try and skip past that bit. Um, so, but I I think that's about it. I don't know if there's anything else that really stands out to you.
1: No, I think that uh, I think that covers it um, sufficiently. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna hit stop.